World's Finest Podcast, Episode 31. As always, I'm Michael Sims, and with me is James Doe. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. How about you? Have you listened to Earth Cadet Net the Show, episode 233? Uh, yes, I have. Yes, wow. That <laughs> is how I'm doing. For anybody who hasn't listened to Earth Cadet Net the Show, episode 233, I highly suggest you do listen to Earth Cadet Net the Show, episode 233. To give you a little teaser, I was taking a nap in my condo. When I roll over at one point to look, you know, I'm just, I'm just rolling over in bed, you know, and I happen to glance out my bedroom door, there's a head that peeks around. This head is not Jenny's, because Jenny's not home, and Jenny's not black. So I jumped out of bed, started screaming at whoever it was to get the F out of my effing house and this and that, and he ended up running out uh, the front room, he you know, ran, ran into the front room, dove out the window, and... You know, then I spent the next couple hours with the police, you know. Um, if you want to hear the whole story, and we spoke about it for about 70 minutes, um, again, go listen to Earth Today at the show, episode 233. It's uh, it's kind of a wild story. It really is. <laughs> to and, say the very least. But anyways, I know we have a ton of emails, so you just want to jump right into them? Oh, yeah, because okay. we got two shows worth of emails to go exactly. through. Exactly, we do. So strap in, folks. We got a lot of them. <laughs> All right, uh, going back to last week, or I should say last fortnight's episode that we had to skip over the emails. Uh, first one was from Eric, who wrote, Before I start my usual reviews on today's episodes, I first respond to a few things. Bruce Tim and company have stated on the DVDs that all the DCAU characters' powers were dumbed down, just like Superman's powers were, with the exception of Batman, Green Arrow, and characters like them. So they most likely did that on purpose to give audiences a sense of fear for the Flash's life, especially after question... Uh, the question makes the possibility of the Flash being killed a po uh, possibility. I myself have a hard time growing up. Uh, many have noticed my He-Man Thundercats collections on DVD. Nothing wrong with it. I did enjoy Powerpuff Girls at times and watched Pokemon when it first came out before the school banning craziness. Did you uh, watch Crypto or the 2002 revamp of He-Man? Uh, I haven't watched Crypto. I've seen like three episodes of Crypto. How is that? Is that a good show or? Well, it's a it's a good kids show. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's that's who it's geared towards. So. And I was really into the uh, 2002 revamp of He Man. Um, growing up, Jenny was you know I grew up with GI Joe. She grew up with the original He Man. Um, so when they revamped it, she was really excited about it. So we ended up watching it. We loved it. Um, had a bunch of the action figures. Uh, they're actually just putting out that series on DVD now. It's going to be three volumes, and I've already got the first two. Um, I think the third volume comes out in, like, I don't know, six weeks, eight weeks, something like that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, if I own something on DVD, that means I really did like it. So, yeah, loved it a lot. 
Uh, also, I saw Magic. It's been airing for quite a while on Monsters HD, and while it's a decent film, I wouldn't consider it a classic. Hopkins is great in the role, and you feel very sympathetic for his character, but the film is slow-paced at times. But still a good watch, so I hope you enjoy it, Mike and James. I wouldn't consider Prototype to be the worst episode of the Superman animated series time frame. That honor to me goes, uh, for me goes to Unity. Ugh, it's crap. It's a very filler episode just to set up for Steel in the future episode. How does Scarface end up on the couch in Double Talk? Your question on how the, how did the goons fake Scarface's voices? My only idea is that they had a recording of Scarface's voice and used a voice machine like in the Scream trilogy to speak through. I don't see Rhino or Muggsy to be that smart, but it's the only thing I can think of. Mel Winkler voice, uh, Mel Winkler voices Lucius Fox in the Gotham Knights and Brock Peters did in Batman the Animated Series. So yes, there is a new Lucius Fox voice. Okay. Now wait, wait, going back to Scarface. Was the dummy actually on the couch, or was that all in the ventriloquist's mind? That See, part of it? I don't remember because yeah, I can't remember if he like rubbed his eyes and then it was gone, you know, right. something like that. I yeah, can't remember. I, I, yeah, I'm trying to remember if he knocked it over and Batman picks it up later. You know, I, I'm I'm wanting to say that we're supposed to think it was in his mind, but I'm not willing to say that with 100% certainty. Mike, don't hurt your head. I love the Smallville t- uh, TV series, but they screwed up the geography of how far Metropolis is from Smallville. It's in Kansas in Smallville, but I've come to understand it's supposed to be in New York. Remember Superman and Superman 2. You can see the Statue of Liberty, WTC, and the Empire State Building. Yeah, that's true. The last episode we saw Catwoman in was the one with Scarface and Ventriloquist. Also, it is discussed later that Dick was given an inheritance from the circus, so he had money when he became an adult. The episode that brings this up is Animal Act, which turns out to be a Mad Hatter episode. The episode where uh, where Dick is with the cheerleader was the Poison Ivy episode where she had a family and was supposedly reformed. Yeah. I like the Nightwing theme. I also like the new Selena Kyle look, but not the Catwoman costume. Mm. I enjoyed this episode, Heavy Metal. My only big gripe is that it uh, is that it's explained that Inner Gang helped Metallica get his new skin, and this is something we uh, we griped about here. Since in the last episode he was complete metal, but why did Inner Gang not finish the job? Yeah. They only fixed his skin until he looked uh, like when he was when he first ripped his skin off. Steele's niece reminds me of Penny from Inspector Gadget. There for support. My only solution to the where whoa, is he? Whoa, getting... whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. <clears throat> Penny, Penny did a little more than support Gadget. I mean, she solved the freaking crimes. <laughs> Gadget just bumbled around. So I yeah. see what you're getting at, but yeah, Penny was a little more important than Steele's niece. <laughs> Very much like Conan and uh, Richard from De- uh, Detective Conan slash Case Closed. Yes, yes. Um, my only solution to the where is he getting his funds question is perhaps he had sold a lot of his personal items to help get the funding to make the steel outfit and start over. Hey, guys, ever heard of solar power equipment? Uh, did you notice when the crowd was gathering around to see Metallo dead, one of the character models looked uh, exactly like the adult Spunky from the first Baby Doll episode, the yeah, one that Robin dressed up as? Yeah, that was something I had in my notes, and I just couldn't really find a moment to get it into the recording. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely noticed him him there, you know, with his blonde mullet and everything, so... All right, next one was from Nate, who wrote, Hey, guys, sorry I'm a little late with my response to the show. Got grounded again. Stupid homework gets me every time. (laughs) Oh, dear. Just saw Last Son of Krypton Parts 1 and 2. I agree that Part 1 was amazing, and Part 2 was not as amazing. You guys uh, didn't mention one of the animation flaws I found in it. When Ma Kent is taking Kal-El out of the rocket, I noticed that the bars manifesting themselves as seatbelts were red, just like his outfit, instead of their, quote-unquote, supposed-to-be color, gray and silver. 
I also saw parts two and three of World's Finest. Amazingly beastie, in all caps. I thought they were solid episodes. One thing I noticed uh, that was a flaw in part two is that when Batman was fighting the big robot, I uh, don't know if you guys mentioned Robot Alert or not. Yeah, of course we did. He could have easily taken it out faster than it took. Wrap up its legs with a batarang rope and stab it in the face with a batarang, or those ghetto claws he ripped, he whipped out. <laughs> I'm so mad that I didn't that I didn't see the end of part one. I so want to hear that touche line. I also saw the new frontier, a million out of a million stars. I already, I'd already listened to the podcast of you discussing it before viewing. Yes, I broke down and listened, and was still amazed at how cool it was. Better, better than Superman Doomsday. I think that the reason Hal was driving so recklessly was because he wanted uh, a thrill, not because he wanted uh, that he had just killed a kid after the war. If it was suicidal, quote unquote, that dude sitting next to him, whose name escapes me, would have shown more emotion towards him. I love seeing Batman as the cold, uh, as a cold, sick douche. If this movie wasn't influenced by the graphic novel The Final Night, starring Hal Jordan as the retired uh, GL, I would have to slap someone across the face. It totally screams Sun Eater to me. If you like this movie, you'll love The Final Night, written by Carl Kessel and Ron Mars. Wait, right. wait, wait. What? W- what was he saying there about the Sun Eater? I don't know what Sun Eater is. So no, no, no. I, just, I, just go back and reread that part. i I, I got to hear that again. Okay, uh, if, this, if this movie wasn't influenced by the graphic novel The Final Night, which starred Hal Jordan as the retired Green Lantern, I would have had to slap someone across the face. It totally screamed Sun Eater to me. But it is wasn't. A, I don't know. I don't know what that is. So I, no, I mean the the movie was based on the New Frontier comic book. Yeah. So I mean the comic, you know, the New Frontier, you know, DC, the New Frontier might have taken some things from other graphic novels, including the the one that he's referencing there, but yeah, the the movie itself wasn't pulling from that. The the, the source material might have been though. Okay. Uh and Nate sent a follow up email that said, uh I was just listening to episode twenty nine and I heard Mike talk about the comic in which Batman and Robin uh, exploit Green Lantern's weakness. I actually saw that comic at a borders and I was like, what the heck? Why is everything <laughs> yellow? And what after I got home Yellow's GL's weakness. Wish I'd gotten the comic when I had the chance. Also, I have a random question. Who's your favorite Green Lantern? Not including the GL corpse, only the main ones that we really hear about all the time. Mine is probably a tie between Rainer and Stewart. I never really liked uh, Gardner's attitude. He was always sort of a jerk to me. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Especially when he goes on to become Warrior in his later days. To be honest, I haven't read a single comic that gives Alan Scott more than five lines, so I can't judge him. Hal Jordan is kind of bland, like Mike said. Uh... The final night, he seemed way too philosophical in my mind, pondering the past and whatnot. But I must say the battle between Hal and Cyborg Superman was pretty rad. I've always been a Rainer fanboy myself. Yeah, um, for me... Okay, first off, what you need to do is listen to Earth Today at the show episode 228. (laughs) (laughs) And in that one, you'll come to understand how much I love Guy Gardner. It's a little weird. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, your avatar kind of tells us that. Join the forums. You'll know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, of course, that avatar is based on what I said in episode uh, 228 of uh, Earth Today at the show. Um, I like Guy because he has an attitude. Um, That's really what it boils down to. You know, I've said it before. You know, to me, Hal Jordan's very vanilla. Okay, yeah, he's cool because he's, you know, got no fear or whatever. And, you know, he's the first modern Green Lantern. He's the one that they all have to live up to. Whatever, whatever, whatever. But I never got his personality. It just doesn't do it for me. Then, you know, Guy comes along and he's all like, 
you know, fuck you, I'm a badass, I'm Guy Gardner. You know, I mean, that's him. <laughs> but the Green Lantern I really grew up with um, in my teen years and then into my adult years was Kyle Rayner. Um, he, you know, he was just the Green Lantern at the time. So he's the one I was reading. And that's why I'm so uh, biased towards him. Um, I think they had a great thing going with him. You know, he was the only Green Lantern at the time because, you know, that was right after Hale wiped out everybody, all the other Green Lanterns. So he had to protect Earth and the entire galaxy by himself. I really dug that. Um, and I liked the fact that he was a noob. You know, he wasn't Hal Jordan. He wasn't Guy. He wasn't John. He wasn't any of the of the GLs from the core that had been doing it for a long, long time. No, he's given this. He's given literally the most powerful weapon in the universe and told, "Okay, go go protect everybody." And he he has no instruction manual. He doesn't know what to do. And then he's thrust into the Justice League and. Uh, he, he's out, out of his league, pardon pardon the double use of league there, but I, I, there was so much they could have done with that character, and I think they did a lot with him throughout the years, but then in, in recent years, they've really given him the short end of the stick. They brought Hale back, and he's in the spotlight again, and Kyle's just kind of been pushed off to the side and forgotten about, and he's just another lantern at this point, and I really think that's a shame. I mean, okay, you know... Uh, Hails back, whatever. But I just don't think he should have taken the spotlight uh, as quickly and uh, as he did, really. So um, that said, I do like John, um, and my love for him actually comes from the cartoon. Yes. For the cartoon, I knew of him, but I had never read any of his stories. Um, and then the cartoon comes along. I'm like, wow, this guy's really badass. Um, and you know, I've seen him in uh, issues since then. I've never, I haven't gone back and gotten back issues, but I've definitely seen him in issues since then. And uh, I like what they do with him there. So, yeah, I, I, I like the concept of the, of the Green Lanterns. And generally speaking, I like all of the characters. You know, if I had to rank them, it would probably be Kyle Guy, John Hale, really. Um, so there you go. That, that, that's my thoughts on it. All right. And next was oh, wait, wait. Mark. Uh, hang on. Go back to the, okay, the first email that he sent. The, yeah. Okay. No, go back to it. There was something midway through that I wanted to comment on. Shit. Can you do that real quick for me? <laughs> Sorry. About the last son of Krypton? No, no, no. About the, the Justice League, the New Frontier. Oh. Um, Just reread that part for me. There was something I, I wanted to bring up, but I forgot what it was. Okay. Um, yeah, going back to the email, he says, I also saw... Jail, uh, Justice League, The New Frontier. Uh, I'd already listened to the podcast of you discussing it before viewing, uh, and I was amazed at how cool it was. It was certainly better than Superman Doomsday. I think that the reason Hal was driving so recklessly was because he wanted a thrill, not because he had just killed a kid after the war. If it was suicidal, that, that guy sitting next to him, whose name escapes me, would have shown more emotion towards him. That's it right there. Here's what you have to remember. When someone's suicidal, they their friends don't always recognize that they're suicidal. Even if they're doing reckless things, that doesn't necessarily mean they're suicidal. It could just mean they're reckless. Um, but trust me, you have to look at this in a historical context. And I did that. I, and I'm not going to go into it again. Just listen to that episode again. I explained what Hale was doing and why he was doing it. Okay. So just because his friend didn't recognize that Hale was suicidal, Hale was definitely suicidal at that point. So, sorry to make you backtrack like that. What's next? No. It's from Chris, our longtime listener, who wrote, 
Uh, hello again, guys. About the cloning thing, Mike, your understanding is correct. You take the DNA out of an egg and put in new DNA, and in theory, we have an exact duplicate. My point was there were no Kryptonian eggs to use, so if they used that technique, they would have had to have used a human egg. The DNA is the same, but it might not have been read exactly like it should have because of all the human rather than Kryptonian cell machinery accounting for the differences. The DNA by itself doesn't do much without the system to read it and turn it to proteins, after all. Uh, about the comments in email on the portrayal of the Flash, I think that in-universe they were going for uh, early in the Wally West Flash series when he was very unsure of replacing Barry and didn't use his powers to their full, attent- uh, full potential and acted like a jerk to compensate for his insecurities. This is the way uh, he was from when he first joined Justice League Europe. From a creative standpoint, they've said that they had difficulties with him early on because he's so hard to beat with his speed. After all, in a better world, he outsmarted the Lord's uh, Batman and went toe-to-toe with the Lord's Superman. Very true. Um, in prototype about the UV laser blinding Superman, Mike made a good point. Visible light is human only, and UV light can damage human eyes in the long term. Plus, it wasn't just UV. At the risk of sounding like Dr. Evil, it was a laser. <laughs> I c- <laughs> I'm sorry. I can look at the red light. I can look at red light, but I still won't shine a laser pointer in my eyes, and anything with the Luthor name on it probably has a lot more power than just a laser pointer. <laughs> okay, I understand what you're saying. Um, in you scratch my back. Like Mike, I had assumed that Barbara did not know what Batman and Nightwing were up to, probably with the old we wanted your reactions to be genuine excuse, which really means we don't think you can act worth a damn. As to why there was more tension between Barbara and Dick than between Nightwing and Batman, I think it's because Barbara and Dick were talking as Barbara and Dick, with a more personal feel and therefore more emotion. There's more tension between Dick and Bruce, uh, but Nightwing and Batman are interacting as business, not personal. So it's easier to put behind the the masks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I'll buy that. Um, So it's easier to put the tension to one side for the time being. Finally, in heavy metal, one of my biggest gripes with Metallica when uh, Metallica Metallica coming back. (laughs) Well, see, I was trying to say Metallo comes back, and I was like, (laughs) let me start that over. (laughs) Oh Lord. Finally, in heavy metal, one of my biggest gripes with Metallo uh, coming back, he's just plain stupid. How does he get beat again? He leaves his chest plate open, and someone attacks the kryptonite power supply. This really irks me here because, A, he's been beaten this way before. Doesn't he have a learn-from-experience module or something? <laughs> he's facing a non-kryptonian foe. Since Steel isn't affected by kryptonite and has a technical background, the writers could have tried some other way to beat him instead of the lazy old way. C, now that he has the I-beams, why does he need to expose his power source to kill Superman? He can kill Superman and keep his power source safe at the same time. Finally, D, he's just he just got upgraded by Intergang, so they had a perfect chance to write a fix-in. It's number 135 on the evil, evil overlord list. Essential equipment should always have a backup battery. They couldn't have a backup. They couldn't have uh, written a, power, a backup power supply to make Metallo stories a bit more interesting. I think the only time after the way of, the, of all flesh when he's defeated without removing his power supply is when the Flash and Wonder Woman clothesline him with the lasso of truth in Hereafter. Grr. Anyways, really enjoy the episode. Till next time, Chris. What are you gurring about? Oh, that was the end of his uh, email. Oh, oh, he gurred. I thought you were gurring about the, the lasso thing. <laughs> no, 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 that was him. I actually okay. liked that. I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, this one is from Mike Blanchard again, who wrote, I've sent in several emails, and I love the podcast. I sent in one a few weeks ago about the Justice League Season 1 on Blu-ray DVD coming August 9th. There's only uh, there's only one special added feature uh, of all the original featurettes uh, from the original release, and I know you guys haven't gotten to the uh, Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, but I thought it was worth mentioning. 
hopefully the entire DCAU will go Blu-ray with added features, of course. Um, as far as the proximity of Gotham to Metropolis and all of the things and and all the things of where the DCAU uh, cities are, the only thing I can think of is that they are East Coast West Coast cities. And the reason uh, why I say this is because every time I have seen Bruce slash Batman in Metropolis or anywhere other than Gotham, he always says yes. Uh, I have to go back to Gotham, like he has to fly there. Um, see, that's the thing. I, I could buy that, but I think in Starcrossed, when the Justice League breaks out of the Thanagarian prison ship, don't they land in Metropolis, and then later Bruce says, we're about 30 miles from Gotham City? I don't remember that line. All I know is that Gotham, it's been established Gotham is roundabout New Jersey. We've seen it time and time, and time again in the cartoon. Um, Metropolis, it's, it's, a, it's, it's along a coast, um, and it's probably just standing in for New York, so they're probably not that far apart. Yeah, I don't know. 30, 30 miles would probably be about right, actually. Yeah, yeah, you're right, because that would be New York, New Jersey then, so, yeah. Okay. Uh, I still would like to see uh, Tim or any of the DCAU creators on the podcast. I know I brought this up before, and you said that you have tried to get them on, but they're extremely busy. Still, it would be nice to have you interview them with your objective insights and just have a roundtable-type discussion. Mike, I went back and downloaded episode 25 of Earth2.net, the show, Jesus and I think... Christ. <laughs> and I think you guys need to do more Muppets episodes. There was one movie Jen left out in the Muppets movie series, though. I actually have found two movies on the cover, and the cover arts are attached in my email. It's a very Muppet Christmas movie and a Muppet family Christmas. While I don't remember the family Christmas one, I do remember uh, it's a very Muppet Christmas, a very merry Muppet Christmas, excuse me, because it had Whoopi Goldberg in it and Joan Cusack as the villain, just to let you know. And I still say Jeremy Sisto sucked ass as Batman and Bruce Wayne in The New Frontier. Long live Kevin Conroy. Well, okay, yeah, long live Kevin Conroy, but Jeremy Sisto rocked. Yeah. Exactly. I will hear nothing to the contrary. Exactly. Um, when, it, when it comes to the Muppets, if memory serves, and again, as he said, <laughs> that was episode 25 of the show. We just released... 233, and by the time this recording airs, 234 will have aired. So, obviously, it's been a little more than 200 and some odd episodes since we Jen and I recorded that, that Muppet show. But I think we only spoke about the theatrical, theatrically released Muppet movies. I really don't remember speaking about any of the ones that were direct to DVD, like the Wizard of Oz one and the Christmas ones he spoke of and a couple of others. So, um, I would like to go back and do some more Muppet talk. Um, I know Jen would too, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe there'll be more Muppet shows in the future. All right. Uh, Chris sent a follow-up email, said, uh, One thing I forgot to mention about Growing Pains, I agree that since Annie was self-aware, what happened was murder. Obviously, Clayface didn't see it that way. He felt that since she was an offshoot of him, he had the right to do whatever he wanted with her. More than the murder, though, it was a social commentary. It's really a comment on child abuse, including the murder of children. There certainly are still parents who feel that their child belongs to them and therefore that the parent has the right to do uh, what they feel necessary, if, even if it's something like abuse that the rest of us agree is abhorrent. It may be that we're reading too much into this, but given that these guys like to put some subtext into the shows, it's not much of a stretch. No, okay. Not at all. And it's, I mean, go back and look at See No Evil. Okay, uh, Chris uh, followed in his next email saying, uh, just a couple of thoughts to add. Mike, you were right about never fear. The substance didn't remove fear so much as it removed inhibitions, which could, on the surface, look like a removal of fear and would be much easier to do. There's drugs now that affect inhibitions as a side effect. My guess is that the Scarecrow marketed, uh, marketed it as a no-fear substance because it sounded more appealing. 
I guess you can't believe everything you hear at a sleazy self-help seminar run by a supervillain. What has the world come to? As to the antidote, even though his mask probably protected him, I still say that he had to avoid getting exposed himself. Crane is very intelligent. He's been exposed to his substances before, and he's smart enough to have synthesized an antidote as a backup plan in case something happens to his mask. You comment, uh, commented that if he was exposed, he might be able, uh, better able to beat Batman, but I disagree. The price of losing your inhibitions is that you also lose a lot of judgment. If Crane just jumps on Batman and starts swinging, he's going to get creamed. He just needs to use his brain and his judgment and plan to beat Batman. He'll still lose, of course, but he'll come a lot closer than he would if he was just swinging. James, you asked about the face Maxima made at the end of Warrior Queen. She raised her eyebrows and uh, pursed her lips. I always thought that she was trying to look seductive, and given Mike's line of reasoning, she has no idea how to do it due to lack of experience. Yeah. Well, the thing was, it wasn't just her facial expression. It was the her the pose that she took. It was just bizarre. She kind of slumped down, like, uh, in addition to that goofy facial expression, as if she had just had her spine ripped out. Yeah, I... She, I like, she turned into, like, a jellyfish. Yeah, I went back and I rewatched the last couple of minutes of that episode, because I think I said I would. Um, and, you, I mean, yeah, what she does is, Lobo comes in, and he's doing his thing, and she kicks back in her throne, and she's like, wahoo! And she's all, like, going nuts at having this new sexy alien, I guess. In, in her presence, and I hold firm in my belief that she actually had an orgasm. And I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, I think this is... Maybe what, she did. And I, I really think this is what happened here. And uh, afterwards, she makes that face where she's, like, relieved. Like, ooh, that felt good. Because you're right, she just kind of slumps. Uh, like, uh, like, all her muscles have relaxed, which, of course, is what happens when you're in that moment. Um and that, that's what I think they were going for. I mean, it was a very sexual episode all around, so might as well get uh, one last little joke in there. So there we go. That's, that's what I'm, that's, I'm sticking with that. Yeah, that's, that probably is what, what they were uh, going for, for mm-hmm. the, just to give something to the adults. Yeah. In Joker's Millions, James mentioned Fran Drescher and Johnny Cochran. I don't think fake Harley was imitating Drescher as much as Janice, Chandler's off-and-on girlfriend in the first couple seasons of Friends. I'm pretty sure this is the case because Maggie Wheeler, who voiced fake Harley, played Janice. The laugh in particular was exactly the same. Well, Chris, I'll have to take your word for it because I've never really liked Friends. So. And our next one is from Earth2.net's own Kellen Scrivens, who writes... Yeah. Hey guys, I feel the need to finally speak about this podcast and the DCAU in general. After over a year of listening to this podcast and its great reviews of episodes, which 90% of the time I have very vague memories of at best, I decided to start rewatching everything from On Leather Wings onward, listening to the old episodes as I go along as a companion piece. I'm at episode 5 of WFP now, and while I can't say I've enjoyed it as much as I'd hoped, I do plan to stick with it because A, you guys' commentary makes darn near everything worth watching, B, the fact that where the universe goes and ends up is absolutely phenomenal. In fact, uh, some longtime Earth2.net formites may recall my passion and love for JLU back when it was still airing, and I was making page-long posts of how, about how awesome the episodes leading up to Divide We Fall were. And C, many of these episodes, regardless of my outright enjoyment of them, are a lot deeper because I can handle subtext better now that I... Uh, better now than when I was four years old the first time they aired. At this point, I expect Mike will groan and say something to the effect of, I'm old. <laughs> no, what I'm going to say is, James, go back and uh, reread that thing he said about he's not enjoying the show as much as he thought he would. Is, is that what he said? That's what he said. Hey, hey, Kellen, um, do remember who it is that's uh, 
you know, spending the money to uh, put his, your podcast on his website. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> no, I Wah, cackle. <laughs> I really feel like Batman the Animated Series is a prologue to the DCAU because the team working on it at the time had no idea uh, just how grand in scope the universe would become. And while in production there was no real universe, it was just Batman doing Batman things one episode at a time for the most part. And when there was no Batville and it really felt boring as a kid, hence why I will side with the argument the episodes such as Christmas with a Joker and I've Got Batman in My Basement were good for the show due to their kid friendliness. Especially in my circle of friends, uh, we were drawn to the more <laughs> colorful series with the overarching stories such as uh, Spider-Man, the animated series, X-Men, the animated series, and even Sailor Moon, for that matter. Finally, a little after one year uh, of existence, I really need to step back and thank you for branching this out into its own separate podcast instead of having it just be another Earth2.net the show segment like it started out. Doing that has allowed Earth2.net to really branch out with uh, Earth2.net the show and World's Finest Podcast in addition to Dread Media for your eyes, uh, for your ears only, excuse me, and some other one that I forgot. If either of you two remember, please do give it a shout out on the air. <laughs> yeah, see, you know what? I'm having a hard time remembering the name of that podcast, too. I think he stole the name from yeah. that old segment I used to do. What was it? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, I really can't remember. You know, I, I think if he would have been a, uh, if you would if he would have praised the world's finest podcast a little more, it'd be easier for me to remember the name of his podcast. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> okay, of course it's an amazing podcast. Uh, I do recommend uh, you folks uh, go and listen to it. it. It is a good show, especially listen to the Street Fighter Two V episode. Everything he says on there is spot on. That that anime is horrible. Is it? Oh really my god, bad. it's horrible. <laughs> Is it literally worse than the live-action movie? Because that's something he said in that episode, that it's worse than the movie. Yes, it is. Wow! And this is coming from the guy who wrote that. Well, how many pages was it? Like, 11-page review of the movie? It was long. It was long, bro. Yeah, it is worse than that movie. Wow. I can't believe it either. But, uh... With all of those on the site, it has allowed the site to branch out dramatically, and it all started thanks to you guys. I can't wait to get uh, get caught up into the episodes that first aired once my memory lasted longer than 30 minutes, and I especially cannot wait to get into my personal favorites in JLJLU. Until then, keep up the good work, Kellen. Our next one is again from Nate, who writes, Hey guys, listening to episode 30. I uh, heard you guys talking about the title cards, uh, which up until now I had no clue of what they were. I noticed that you didn't mention Fairly Odd Parents. How could you forget? Yeah, truthfully, I'm amazed I forgot all the cartoon cartoons from the from Cartoon Network, like Dexter's Lab and Cow and Chicken and uh, Ed, Ed and Eddie and so forth. I mean, all of those had title cards too. So, I'm I'm amazed that I forgot to mention those. It's just another one of those brain fart moments for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just bought Tower of Babel. Good man. Uh, oh my God, amazing. I'm not sure if you've already uh, if you already have because I don't listen to Earth2 dot uh, uh, Earth2 consistently. You should totally review it on Earth2.net. It was so awesome talking to my friends and youth pastors who are total comic book uh, total comic geeks uh, and about the characters' weaknesses. Mostly me gawking at them because they don't know them. It was totally fun showing off my comic book geekiness to my elders. By the way, I read this on a 13-hour missions trip bus, which is why I got to read it in one shot and talk to my total, uh, totally cool youth pastors about it. So, rape the cats and something I don't remember the dogs. Nate, that would be sodomize. <laughs> Ian will Ian will be sure to remember, uh, remind us of that in a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
And our next one is from Dimitri, who writes, Hi again. Just one correction. When talking about heroes being in their father's shadow, Mike made a slip by calling Daredevil's father yeah. Mike Murdock when his, and in fact yeah. his name is Jack. Jack, yeah. But overall, another fantastic episode of WFP, after which your review of Apocalypse Now has made me reconsider uh, my dislike towards Superman episodes. Now I truly enjoy both series. Thank you, Dimitri. Uh, wow, that's awesome. I'm glad that we've able, we were able to do that. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to the Daredevil flub, it was one of those things where, as I said it, like in the back of my head, there was something screaming at me like, no, you're wrong. Because I think where I got confused is that Matt Murdock, for a brief while, used the alias Mike Murdock. Um, and that's, I think I, that's where I got, I just got all jumbled up and was thinking that was his dad's name. Mm-hmm. Even though I know it was Jack, um, there was a mini series in 2006, or maybe it was 2007, called Batlin Jack Murdoch, so I should have known that. Mm-hmm. So, pardon the flub. Okay, our next one is from a new listener, Samantha, who writes, Hey guys, my name is Samantha and I'm 19. Yes, you have another female listener. Yay! Yes. Anyway, I just found this podcast the other day because I used to watch Batman the Animated Series when I was a kid, and I loved it. I recently started getting the seasons on DVD. I can't find 2, 3, or Return of the Joker in stores, which is a tad irksome. Um, now, I picked up, I'll tell you this, I picked up Return of the Joker from Amazon for like seriously eight dollars, and that was with yes. that was with shipping eight dollars. Yeah. So check there if you know if uh, if you're looking for it because, I mean, I don't know if it's that cheap now because I bought this God knows how many years ago, but uh, yeah, check Amazon. They've got all kinds of stuff that you might never be able to find anywhere else. And make sure you get the unrated edition. Yes, because you do not want the neutered one. I don't think you can really find that one all that easily anymore. I think the unrated one has pretty much pushed the other one out of the marketplace. Yeah. But just make sure, absolutely make sure it's the unrated one because there is so much more, uh, you know, it's... A lot of it is violence, but it's it's absolutely necessary. It is. You cannot have that movie without it. Anyway, even though I can't find the DVDs, I remember most of the episodes, and it's great to hear analysis of the episodes I might have forgotten. And it's nice to just nerd out and hear about things I might have missed the first 300 times I watched them. (laughs) You guys are amazing and funny as all hell. Your sarcasm and wit is spot on. I cannot wait to hear what you have to say about Return of the Joker, one of my favorite movies ever. Maybe that's just because I love the Joker as much as Harley does. Yeah, total Joker fangirl here. Moving on before I begin to gush over Mr. J. Like I just said, uh, like I said, I just found this podcast a few days ago, and I've listened to all the episodes because they're addictive, witty, and amazing. I can never say how much I appreciate you guys doing this podcast, and I could not agree with you guys more about Joker's supposed name. I cringe every time I see the Jack Napier, uh, Jack Napier name in the animated series because it's not the truth. You see in The Killing Joke one of Joker's multiple-choice answers, or at least in my opinion you do. So the name Jack Napier is a name Joker makes up. Tomorrow it'll be Alan Rathbone or something like that. <laughs> okay, I digress. I got on here to tell you guys that you're made of amazement, and because of you, I saw my little cousin the other day. He's about seven, and I sat him down and showed him the first few episodes of Batman the Animated Series. He loved them, so thank you for inspiring me to show him the episodes so, he, so that he can grow up with the show that me and my older cousins loved to watch when we were his age. He's not allowed anywhere near my Joker comics, obviously, but I plan on taking him to my favorite comic store soon so he can, under my watchful eye, pick out a few Batman comics. Cool. Okay, I want to keep you guys, and I'm waiting patiently for the next podcast. Your faithful newbie, Samantha. Thank you, thank <laughs> well, you, thank, thank you. Thank you, Samantha. Um, it's, it's always amazing when 
I, I hear of new listeners just throwing themselves into the podcast like that. I mean, listening to 30 episodes or whatever over two days is just like, wow. It's like, yeah, awesome. I can't even fathom yeah. it, really. <laughs> yeah, but I, I appreciate it. Um, what I also appreciate, and I've said this on the show before, uh, is, is people like her, listeners or not, taking the young ones in their lives to comic shops. Um, you know, we won't rattle off comics that would be good for a youngster because we've already done that on a couple of shows now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you know, you, you say you've listened to all the shows, so you know what we're talking about. Those are our suggestions. Definitely pick those up. Um, I'm looking at Amazon right now, Batman Beyond, Return of the Joker, the original uncut version, $6, brand new. Six bucks, five ninety nine. Get it. <laughs> yeah. It, it's got a new box. Uh, it used to have a box. It's the same cover art with Terry as Batman standing in front of like a big looming green Joker face, but it used to have a black border around it that said the original uncut version. The new, uh, Im- uh the new box, the images, the, the full box, okay, it doesn't have the black border, and ab- uh, above it on a blue strip it says full length movie. It doesn't give any indication on the box that it's the uncut version, but according to Amazon it is. So, yes, six bucks. My know, god, pay, how can you not buy that? Yeah, I'd pay fifteen or sixteen for this full DVD. You know, you know what you would pay for most DVDs. I would definitely do that. And it says you can buy it used for as little as four. So I'd even check eBay and see if you can get it for right around that, or maybe a little cheaper. Okay. And our final email is from Aaron, who writes: A few episodes ago, someone put a thread on the forum about who could take Batman down if he went nuts or rogue, as uh, the case may be. You got a lot of answers, but one person was uh, conspicuous by her absence: Selena Kyle. Uh, I think she could take Batman down uh, and talk him down. I'm a fan of the PDCU, Pendant DC Universe, from Pendant Productions, uh, as well as a fan of the DCAU and MCAU. Uh, and in the lo- uh, last long story arc on Batman, the Ace of Detectives, uh, Selina slash Catwoman talked down and took down Batman after Professor Strange had literally fucked with his mind. I think the idea uh, of it being someone he loves takes him down because no matter how fucked up in the head Bats is, he really wouldn't hurt Dick, Tim, Selena, Barbara. Uh, mixing continuities up a bit, but there it is. Anyway, keep up the good work and frank discussions about some of the world's fave superheroes, Excelsior, which with apologies to Stan Lee. <laughs> uh, what do you think about Selena being able to take uh, Batman down, either physically or talking him down? That's a that's a tough one. I mean, I can see where he's coming from with it. Uh, we've seen that Selena uh, can stand toe to toe with him, but I would argue that Batman holds back uh, a lot when he's duking it out with with Catwoman. If he were actually, if he'd actually turned rogue or had gone insane, I don't know if if Selena would be able to match him physically when he's just going all out mindlessly. Maybe, maybe not. That it's very, it's really up in the air for me. No, that's what you really have to consider. If Bruce still had all of his skills, um, but for whatever reason decided to take an even darker path, um, no one was controlling him or anything like that. It was He was doing everything for a reason, and he stopped holding back against her and other people, he'd break her in half. He'd literally break her in half. Um, and that's not to diminish her skills, because she is a good fighter, she's a great gymnast, but if, you know, she, she's only able to stand toe-to-toe because, as you said, James, you know, much like Superman does and other heroes do, they have to hold back a lot so they don't kill people. Yep. And he definitely is not going to want to kill her. I don't believe it. A super girl? Believe it. Ah!
<laughs> you naughty little monkey. Granny will spank you And first up today is Little Girl Lost. Uh, this episode is the debut of Supergirl. Um, what happens is Superman is off in outer space searching for the uh, searching through the remains of Krypton for any signs of life. And while he's searching there, he receives a distant distress signal from the outer reaches of Krypton's solar system. And he finds a lifeless planet there and searches through a house uh, on the, the abandoned or the, the dead, basically the dead planet. And he discovers a recording of a woman named Kala Enze. And she explains that Argo, which is where Superman is standing, uh, was ripped from its orbit and destroyed when Krypton exploded. And nearly everyone on the planet perished immediately or in the wake of the Ice Age that ensued. Uh, she tried to save her family by putting them in cryogenic chambers, but only one of the chambers survived the devastation, one holding a teenage girl. So, you know, we flash to Earth, and we see the girl named Kara flying through the Smallville, Kansas sky when Clark stops her so that no one sees her flying around. Uh, in the Kent's kitchen, Martha and Jonathan tell Kara about Inner Gang, who are apparently back in business again in Metropolis. Kara seems really excited at the prospect of uh, taking on these guys, seeing how she's immensely bored being cooped up in Smallville. Uh, so back in Metropolis, a couple of teenage inner gang punks break into a, uh, a tech convention that uh, Lois and Jimmy are none too thrilled about having been assigned to, and these punks start tearing the place apart. So Superman eventually intervenes and stops them, but they manage to escape. And um, you know, during this, one of the punks drops an arcade token, which Jimmy picks up. Um, and back at the pl uh, Daily Planet, Kara, disguised as Clark's cousin, Karen, drops by to see Clark, much to his chagrin. And he gives her a key to his apartment and tells her to go there and wait for him and not do anything. Uh, Jimmy, meanwhile, is pleading with Lois to let him uh, go along with her to cover the inner gang story, but she refuses. Um, Kara then asks Jimmy if he'd like to go search for the inner, uh, for inner gang with her. And they eventually find the arcade that the, the two inner gang hoodlums hang out at, and they follow him to their hideout where they're captured and brought before Granny Goodness. She uh, orders her quote-unquote goslings to beat the crap out of Kara and Jimmy, but Kara makes short work of them, of course. Uh, she then rips off her street clothes to reveal her new, uh, newly uh, dubbed identity of Supergirl. She uh, easily takes care of Granny, but then shortly thereafter, Granny opens up a boom tube, which Jimmy astutely recognizes uh, and puts two and two together that Granny is from Apocalypse. So out of the boom tube enter the female Furies, and Supergirl and Jimmy find themselves in a world of trouble. Um, Supergirl starts duking it out with the Furies, and during the fight, Stompa uh, stomps the ground so heavily that the shockwave is felt miles away by Lois and Clark, who are at a presentation for a comet that is slight, you know, somewhat close to Earth, but they say it's not uh, you know, to the point where it'll collide with Earth uh, on its present course. Uh, you know, Clark runs off to change into Superman, and he... F gets to the site of the fight, and he's none too pleased that Kara has gotten herself into this mess. They, uh, they, you know, they try to fight the Furies, but uh, Superman ends up being captured and taken to Apocalypse. Uh, Supergirl eventually finds a boom tube generator in the rubble and gets to Apocalypse, where she has to rescue Superman and defeat the fem female Furies in Darkseid. Also, they have to make it back in time to stop a giant magnet device, which is pulling said comet into contact with Earth. Uh, I guess that's about it. Thoughts? Oh God, this episode's boring. Really? I like this episode. I I do not like this episode at all. Um, I can tell you when we score this one, it's getting a full extra point only because it's another one of those episodes that helps expand out the universe. 
And I think all those episodes deserve a little extra consideration. But uh, if it weren't for that, I'm telling you, the score on this one's going to be really low for me. Um, there, there's no emotion in any of these characters. Um, I feel like the plot is... It's kind of cliched, really. You know, they're like, okay, we want to introduce Kara. We want to introduce Granny. We want to introduce... Well, have they introduced Granny before? No, this is Granny's first appearance, I believe. She hasn't been on... We haven't seen her on Apocalypse before? Mm, I don't, okay, well, I don't think so. Well, I, know it's, I know it's the debut of the Female Furies. So. Right, that's what I was about to say. At, at the very least, it's the, the Furies' debut, you know. So they, they wanted to accomplish all of these things, and the rest of the plot, the rest of the episode, the dialogue, the acting, everything was really just done by the numbers and it felt like no one was putting any effort into it. Um, see, I, see, I like Nicole Tom. I thought she did a good job as Supergirl. But, you know, that you know, that's something we're never going to be able to convince each other wrongly of, so. Yeah, I, yeah, when it comes to her, I... I don't know. She was she was a little annoying. Is she the one that will do Supergirl throughout the entire DCAU? I believe so. Yeah. Because I think I like her later on. So maybe here she still hadn't grown into the character. Um, but yeah, I just I didn't understand where the character was coming from half the time. So there's there's one point at the end where she uh, half the comet, you know, Superman's fighting the comet in space, and half of it breaks off and. Kara sees that it's coming towards Metropolis, so she's got to stop it. And she says something like, uh, well, girl, well, girl, you always wanted to save always the world. Wanted to save the world. And I'm like, wait, what? Huh? You've been on Earth for a cup of coffee. What do you mean you've always wanted to save the world? You know, I didn't understand where that was coming from. I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. What, let's, let's hear your thoughts. Well, I guess I'll just start with the animation as I always do. Uh, you know, this is another tale of two cities. The first episode's animation is horrible. I, I yeah, it, it is. is, but the second episode, uh, second episodes is really good, um, and I think a lot of that has to do with most of it takes a place on Apocalypse. But um, you know, I don't know what happened. I, it's the first episode's animation is just horrendous, uh, but yeah, but it's like there's several flaw, just flaws. Um, when uh, that the female intergang punk straps that disc to Lois's back when she starts flying into the sky it's not there she's really yeah she's just flying into the sky with nothing on her back so it's like uh. where the fuck did the the disc go um um why are the chunks of krypton glowing green when there's no uh, yellow sun nearby well there's two trains of thought with the how kryptonite is formed one is that it's it's radioactive because of Earth's, you know, when it enters Earth's atmosphere, it becomes radioactive, or because of our sun. The other train of thought is that when the planet exploded, the radiation that was given off turned it instantly into the deadly kryptonite. Okay. And so you, that's what you could kind of say. It, it you, Here you just have to go, it's the explosion and not the atmosphere angle. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think of any... Other major animation glitches. Uh, I, I'll, I'll maybe I'll think of one in a minute. But one of my big gripes with this episode is Lois. It, this is too ja- dangerous for Jimmy Olsen. What? He's been <laughs> he has been attacked by in no particular order demons, gangs, and robots. <laughs> yeah. 
and aliens. So yeah, I was about to say, uh, you know, you want to throw the uh, the people from Apocalypse in there, you know? <laughs> so yeah, no, it's not too. Nothing is too dangerous for this guy. Nothing. Yeah. That really just bugged the piss out of me. Yeah, because that's the thing. It's like this episode is the first Superman episode. You know, we are getting after Apocalypse now. So apparently, Jimmy has no problems in, in a dangerous situation. He, he might, you know, get a little scared, but that doesn't mean it's, it's too dangerous for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hate this episode. <laughs> well, here's and here's another one I have. Um, in that recording of the woman on Argo, uh, she says that Argo was destroyed only five years ago. But Kal-El is how old now? So I, are, I guess are we assuming that their years are a lot longer than human years or what? But why was Kara and Zay, uh, Kala and Zay speaking English? And how was Kara <laughs> speaking English on Earth? Oh, good point, good point. Hang on. When it, okay, let's let's go just back up a little. When it comes to the five-year thing, I noted that too. But the more I thought about it, I think we have to assume that it's not an interactive hologram. So when she recorded that's it, yeah you're you're right it was five years ago so when Superman's hearing it it was thirty some odd years ago um, but it throws you off because we've seen in this cartoon interactive holograms think about it whenever Superman wants to look at Krypton he just touches the Brainiac orb and he can interact with the thing and it can tell him whatever he wants so. You'd think Argo, being a sister planet to Krypton, would have similar technology. So it should have said 30 years ago, 35 years ago, not five. But you can kind of talk your way around it. Yeah, as it's I just said. confusing. Yeah. Um, what were the other things you had said? The uh, Oh, Kara speaking English, right? Yeah, fluent English. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could say that, again, the hologram was maybe speaking Kryptonian and Soup somehow understood it. Yeah. Maybe he's taken time to learn it. But but Kara, you get the sense that she's only been on the planet for a little while. There's no way she's picking up English that quick. No way. Not at all. So. And, see, this this is another problem I have with this episode where she understands certain phrases and she uses them, but then she doesn't understand what bingo means. Remember there's that one point where Jimmy says, Bingo! And she's like, what's that mean? And he says, it means they're the same. Because he's looking at her like, are you an idiot? Because he doesn't know she's Supergirl yet. That she's an... Wait, does he know that? No, she doesn't know... He doesn't know that she's Supergirl yet. Right. So he doesn't know that she's an alien. Um, so yeah, she, she she doesn't know what bingo means. But later on, she... When she's in front of the dark side statue, she says, well, I wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley. Like, really? On Argo, they have dark alleys that... You know, I don't know. I just there's just certain phrases that you would associate with Earth and not other planets, and that's one of them. So yeah, it's, there's there's so many. God, man, I'm, I'm I've got a lot of notes for this one, but I'm so frustrated with this episode <laughs> that I can't I can't speak. <laughs> oh Lord. Um. Well, okay. Going back to the the scene on on Argo with the hologram, the one one animation thing I noticed that was pretty cool is they had frozen skeletons. That, yes, that that's cool, yeah. and it's another thing. That, hmm, how did they get away with that? Yeah, it's definitely creepy because you know skeletons some were mummified. It was it's yeah, it was dark. It really was. And then you see this beautiful young woman, you know, in this in this uh, sci-fi like pod. Yeah, you know, so it's the light is uh, contrasting with uh, with the dark there. That was neat. 
I guess the uh, the other thing I'll uh, say about the first episode that I liked was it's was Scott Menville's debut for in the DCAU, and of course we all know whom he goes on to voice. Yeah, you know I was listening to that and I'm like, is that Robin from Teen Titans? You know the DCAU cartoon Teen Titans. <laughs> oh, we're gonna get emails, and uh, of course we will. At, at one point, I, you know, I said it to Jen. I'm like, is that Robin? And she listens. No, I take that back. I take that back. I go, I recognize that voice. And she kind of cocks her head and she's like, I do too. And I go, wait, is that Robin from Teen Titans? And she goes, yes, it is. So Jen actually helped me recognize that one. Which is weird because I thought that he was a young actor. I thought I've seen images of him from like 2004, 2005. Mm -hmm. And he looked young then, if I remember correctly. So how old was he here? God, I I couldn't even venture a guess. But, uh, I mean... Let's see, he's the lead. He's the lead singer of uh, was it Boy Hits Car? I think or is it a band? Yeah, really. Yeah, he's the he's oh no, he's the bassist for Boy Hits Car. That's right. Huh. Um, God, and uh, according to his uh, wiki page, he was born in seventy one. Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought he was uh like mid twenties, like twenty five ish. So pardon that. Okay, here's here's another animation glitch. I remember Lois's head. In the tech convention, Lois's head? tech uh, head in the tech convention. It looked like it was twice as big as her body. <laughs> or I will. Okay, I won't go that far, but it was really off model. Like it was. Wow, I, no, I, it was really big. I did not pick up on that. Uh, at what point? Throughout the whole thing, or just one particular? I think it was just or? in the, the when they first show her. Her uh, when okay. they first show Jimmy and her at the convention. It, her head just looked way too big. Hmm. I'll, I'll take your word for it because I'm not. There's no way I'm going to go back and watch this one again. Mm. You know, um, I think one of my big problems with this one is the uh, the jump forward. It's like we're on Krypton, we see Kara, and then all of a sudden she's flying around Earth in her cute little tight coveralls and skimpy shirt. And I would have liked to have seen Superman take her out of the pod, bring her back home introduce her to the parents. I, they, they they gloss over all of that. It's just all of a sudden, oh, she's in Smallville and she's living with the Kents. <laughs> like that no, that no. I, I want to see the stuff they left out. To me, that's more interesting than everything else they did in this episode. And it was just all ignored. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's I don't know. I don't know. I just there's, I felt there was. I just feel there's so much more story in bringing her to the farm. It's like that could have been the first episode, and it would have mirrored the first episode of the last son of the last uh, son of Krypton. Yep. Where everything's on Krypton, it explodes, boom, he lands, and the Kents find him. I mean, that's it, they could have done the same thing, but with Clark bringing a new addition to the household instead of the addition being Clark. Um, I also feel. Okay, this is going to contradict kind of what I just said, but I don't care. Um, I also feel that this didn't need to be two parts. I, I didn't understand why this episode was two parts to begin with. If they were just going to gloss over all this stuff with Kara, why make this one so long? I think it was really hurt by its stretched-out pacing. Yeah, I mean, the uh, the stuff with Jimmy and the female intergang punk, that was mm -hmm. complete filler. There was no need, yeah. no need for any of it. Uh, it, 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 it gave it added nothing to the episode, and the whole comet thing was just filler. 
which of course Jimmy and his his inner gang friend uh, tie into that. But the whole you know the the, the Fletcher comet, which of course is a yeah. homage to the the Fletcher Superman cartoon, so that was cool. I mean, it was an um, homage to the an episode of that cartoon. So yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I just felt like none of that was needed. You know, as you said, that the Jimmy inner gang stuff later on with the girl wasn't needed. They really just could have done here's Supergirl, she's on Earth, here's Granny with the Furies, and that's it. I almost would have preferred it if Darkseid wasn't even in it. If it was just Granny doing her thing with the Furies. Because, I'll tell you what, how is it that Darkseid can have an agent on Earth when Highfather just said, get the fuck off this planet? That bugged the shit out of me. So, if Granny was working alone on the planet, Darkseid can have a plausible deniability. Well, I didn't know she was there, Highfather. She was doing this by herself. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I just, I, I really feel we should have taken a break after Apocalypse Now. It should have been Apocalypse Now, and then we don't get Darkseid. We can have some new gods, but we don't get Darkseid for a long while. And I feel like at this point they're really uh, milking that cow for all it's worth. And I think this episode hurt the, you know, everything they were building with Darkseid. It's like, here's this huge moment where there's this big battle and he kills Turpin, and then he's just standing there watching Superman get beat up by the Furies. Yeah. You, it just made him. It just made Darkseid seem weak. Yeah, well, and watered him down, too. His appearances should be few and far between. Mm-hmm, exactly. So. You know, when you see him, it should be one of those, oh, shit, it's going to hit the fan moments. Not, oh, let's, let's watch Darkseid sit on his throne as some scantily clad alien girls beat up Superman and Supergirl. Yawn. It was like uh, Shao Kahn from Mortal Kombat just sitting on the throne while sh- the his minions do all the bidding, stealing souls and shit. Mm. <laughs> just to draw an analogy there, I'm sure you love that since you hate Mortal Kombat and this episode. So. Well, I've never seen the Mortal Kombat movies, though. Well, I'm not talking about the movies, actually... I'm just talking about the games. Oh, actually... <laughs> oh, okay, see, I didn't even realize that. Pardon me. I thought it was... I think you were referencing something from uh, one of the movies there. Pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> uh God, what else do I have to say about this? You know, I'm starting to like this less and less. Thanks a lot. <laughs> no problem. I mean, I really just think if they would have made this one episode, I don't think it would have been a great episode, but it would have been a lot better because stretching it out, they had to add so much padding. And that really is when you ha- when you have to pad out a story, you're you're putting an anchor around its neck, so to speak, and it's just going to sink. It's just going to drop and it's not going to be as enjoyable as it could have. I mean, I'm looking at my notes. I have, this is crap, terrible cliche dialogue, slow, boring episode, ugh. Like, <laughs> you know? Uh, most of my, yeah, most of the notes I have left are animation notes. Like, um, the Brainiac emblem being on that giant magnet. Um, mm. I don't know why it was there, but it was there. Uh, let's see. Did, here's a question I have. Did the, uh, the female inner gang punk remind you of Dana from Batman Beyond? It looked just like yes. her. Yes. Now that you say that, it was one of those things where I was looking at her face and I was thinking Angela Chen. But now that you mention it, yes, that might be the model they used for Dana. Good call. Real good call there. Uh, um, was it just me or did Kara's emblem change? When she tore off her clothes or whatever in front of Jimmy and she revealed that she was Supergirl, I thought the crest was uh, didn't have yellow. I thought it was red and white. Yeah. But then in the second episode, the yellow was there. 
it was the it was the Superman emblem, just smaller. Hmm. I didn't. Where the first time we see it, it was there was no yellow; it was all white and red. It wasn't just an effect of being on the red planet or anything. It was I didn't I didn't notice the yellow. No, really. no, this is on Earth. This is on Earth. Oh, hmm. this that's what I'm talking about in the first episode when she first um when she's going. Okay, remember Inner Gang's about to kill them. Yeah. And Supergirl or Kara at the time is like, screw this. Don't you know she's using you? And something happens where she like has to take off her, her disguise. And we see she's Supergirl. Dun, dun, dun. And the crest. Look at it. Look at it. It's, it's red and white. Right. Then the Furies come. It's the cliffhanger. We go to the second episode and the crest is now colored in with yellow. Hmm. And it stays that way for the rest of the uh, second episode. Man, I don't know how I missed that, but. Now in the, in the, the rest of the universe, is it is there yellow or is it red and white? I don't remember. I think it's just red. Like I really want to say it's just red and white. That's what I thought. So I really think that was a mistake in that second episode. Even though the second episode had better animation overall, it did. It wasn't perfect, obviously. No, but uh, you know, Supergirl murdered the fuck out of those parademons, and she celebrated. And she you. celebrated it. That I, I literally just looked at that note. I, she goes, "Yes!" Like she's happy. She just killed someone. Well, you can argue. The, you could argue something. they're not people. I mean, they're demons. But they're alive, and she's trying to be a hero. She's trying to live up to the, you know, image that Clark has set for her. And all of a sudden, she's like, "Yes, I just took several lives in one shot. I'm Supergirl. Damn it! Like what the hell?" Well, let. Fair, you know, to be fair, when we get to the final episode of JLU, everybody is murdering those parademons. We get them being decapitated, burned, uh, <laughs> impaled, any number of other ways you can think to kill them. They're getting killed. So it, it's not unprecedented. No, no, it happens. It definitely happens. But I think with Supergirl, again, because she's trying to – and this is something we see with her throughout the entire – uh, series. When I say de- series, I mean the entire universe. That she's always trying to live up to the image that Superman has set. And, I mean, Superman lives by certain ideals, and she tries to live up to them. And one of the things Superman lives by is you don't kill. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> here you go. She she does it almost, you know, literally in her first superhero gig, and she's all like, "Yeah, woo!" Like happy. So she should be the one. If it's her and Superman, should be killing the the parademons. Everyone else, they can do it. They can do it, but those two shouldn't. I feel. Does Superman ever kill any? I can't remember. Uh, parademons. Yeah. Uh, probably, but I don't. I can't think of a specific instance. I don't think he killed any in Apocalypse Now, did he? Mm, not that I can remember off the top of my head, but you know, when once again when we get to Justice League Unlimited, he he might. He goes okay. nuts on those guys uh, on the rooftop. He just starts laser laser beaming them all over the place. So, yeah. so he we could, we could argue that he probably killed a few up on that roof, but yeah, that's not until the very end of the ser- of this of the universe. So. Yeah, but then you could also justify that by saying that was a huge intergalactic war yeah. that was going on. So again, there's a difference here. She was being chased just by a couple of them. You know, she she could have outwitted them, outran them. But later on, huge war, huge war. You got to do what you got to do. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I will get emails about this. I know. I know. But oh, well. Um, now, here here's another gripe I had with this episode. So Kara, in her 
secret identity, we'll call it. And I'm not talking with her glasses and brown wig. I'm talking, you know, just her jacket. <laughs> you know, she's walking around with Jimmy, and she strips it off in front of him, like, dun-dun-dun. Then, at the end of the episode, Clark says, hey, my cousin's in town. You have to meet her. He says this to Jimmy. He's trying to hook Jimmy up with uh, Kara. So, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, next time Jimmy sees Kara, he's going to know she's Supergirl. She's not wearing glasses. He knows what she looks like in and out of her quote-unquote secret identity. So, if this is Clark's cousin, doesn't it then fit to reason that Clark is Superman? Hmm. Good point. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, Jimmy can never see her again, period. If he... All right, let me take that back. He can never see her with Clark, period. If he ever sees Clark and Kara together... And Kara's in, like, street clothes, not as Supergirl. He should be able to go one plus one equals Superman. Because he didn't see her in the wig and the glasses. He saw her with the blonde hair. And he actually saw her change right in front of him. Right in front of him, she did that. Hmm. I can't believe I didn't pick up on that, but you're you're all right. <laughs> it bugged the shit out of me from the moment she... Got out of her or got into her costume right in front of him. I go right there, right there. That's a huge fuck up. Having a Lewis Black moment there, where you you can't think of the words that you're just like. It's like well, that's what I was saying. It's like seizure inducing. This this episode frustrates me so much. I I can't get the words out. I just can't. Um, I don't know. What else do you have to say about this one? Not really a whole lot. Um, I I can tell you right now, I've lowered my grade. Uh, considerably <laughs> the quote supergirl yes <laughs> uh you've ruined you've ruined one of my one of these episodes that i actually liked a lot oh baby mr precious so much all right all right enough of the mushy stuff i went out to get our reviews Ooh, bunny and clyde how romantic that's nothing, doll. Even the out-of-town rags like us. Next up is the Gotham Knights episode, Love is a Crock. What happens in this one is that uh, Baby Doll has seemingly reformed, and she's working at a uh, resort in uh, Gotham City. Uh, she's the clerk behind the desk. And uh, two customers come in, they lost their room key, and they're trying to get a duplicate from her, and uh, one of them's really drunk, extremely drunk. And uh, he's like, I know you, I recognize you. And he figures out who she is. And he's like, do something funny, entertain me. And uh, he messes up her hair. She's got it pulled back in a bun and he pulls it down into her baby doll ponytails. And uh, this frustrates her to no end. And she, she beats him up. She grabs his nose, slams his head in the desk, uh, bashes him with the, with the guest sign-in log and uh, goes back into her room uh, and, and just pouts. While she's in there, she sees um, a, competence, a competency hearing for Killer Croc being broadcast on live TV. And uh, the judge is saying that Croc is competent to stand trial, that he is not insane. And uh, the Croc ends up uh, breaking out of his restraints. And uh, he's, he's running around. And of course, Batman stops him. And uh, Baby Doll ends up at the scene. Um, and she sees the final blow. She sees Batman knock Croc out with uh, one punch and then uh, inject him with the whatever serum it is that's going to keep him down. So she's thinking to herself, I'm different. 
he's different, let's team up. We each know where the other's coming from. So she engineers an escape to get him uh, out of jail, and they become a uh, modern-day Bonnie and Clyde for uh, Gotham City. And uh, nothing can seemingly stop them. I mean, the crack's got the muscle, baby's got the brains, they're coming up with these great plans, they're making a ton of money. Uh, but ultimately their downfall is the fact that Croc doesn't want to be with her. Baby wants the perfect relationship that you see on TV all the time. And Croc's like, fuck this, I don't love you, I'm just using you for the money. And he's hanging around with women all over the place, and she catches him. So to get revenge on him for breaking her heart, she decides that she's going to blow up the reactor, a nuclear reactor, in Gotham City, uh, taking herself, himself, and the entire city uh, with them. And, of course, Batman and Batgirl uh, swoop in to save the city and uh, save the lives of this uh, couple, we'll say. Does that do this one justice, you think? Yeah, if it deserves justice. <laughs> I think I think <laughs> the way we were with the last episode with uh, Little Girl Lost, it's, it's going to be reversed on this one. Because I'm not claiming I love this episode, but I'm getting the feeling that you really dislike this one on the same level that I disliked the last one. So why don't you start us off here? Well, see, I was just I was just surprised they decided to bring back the baby doll character. Um, yeah, it was it was a good one off character. Yeah. But and like I said months ago when we reviewed Baby Doll the episode, I th it was a surprisingly good episode, and so much so that I graded it an eight. But yeah. I don't think she lends herself to being a recurring character. Mm -hmm. um, now I did. I have to say I did like her new animation model. Uh, mm -hmm. It wasn't so Tiny Toons esque, and I liked yeah. that. I thought it was. Uh, I think it was a step up, um, and I liked that they kept the same music from the last episode. Yeah, that was that was, was kind of neat. I didn't expect that. I really didn't. Um, but there's just there's so many things in this episode that I I just don't flat out don't like or or they don't make sense. Um, the judge says Croc is competent to stand trial for murder in the first degree, but he's taken to Arkham Asylum upon apprehension. Yes, exactly. That makes no sense. Um, really? Okay, I'm just gonna say this right out uh, flat. My thoughts on this episode can best be summed up by a line that Batman says in this episode. Batgirl asks him, what do you suppose they do on a date? I don't want to think about it. <laughs> That's pretty much my thoughts about this episode right there. I don't want to remember this episode. It's just utterly boring in every imaginable way. Um, and, you know, Doll might be in her 40s or whatever, but damn if that relationship isn't creepy as hell. And I have no desire to see it. Uh, one, because I said it's creepy, and two, because it's annoying as hell. <laughs> oh, my God. I Every... Every single scene they're in, I just want to, I want to choke myself to sleep. <laughs> it's, it's mm -hmm. just putrid. Yeah, I mean, it, it's weird. I gave, the, the score I gave this one, not to show my hand, is, you know, sort of middle of the road, but I'm looking at my notes and I think all my notes are negative notes. So I'm like looking at my score going, why did I give it that score if all I wrote down were negative thoughts? Um, so to, to, to start off, why is Crocs uh, competency hearing on live TV. Yeah. Why would that be aired on live TV? Maybe for the Joker, maybe for the Two-Face, but Killer Croc? Really? That's going to be on TV? No, they could have come up with so many better ways to get Baby Doll into uh, a relationship with him that, that didn't involve her seeing it on live TV. Read a damn uh, newspaper. Exactly. She sees in the newspaper... 
this story about Croc that he's been found fit to stand trial or not fit or whatever. It ultimately doesn't matter if he's fit to stand trial or not. And it progresses the same way from there. She goes to Arkham and says, hey, maybe fate will play a hand in you getting out of jail. And then she gets him out of jail. But getting speaking about that scene, you're telling me that people in Arkham would be allowed visitors, especially unsupervised visitors? Especially one that's been proven to commit, has been uh, kidnapped, or is a convicted kidnapper and yeah. convict and attempted murderer. Yeah, there's so much wrong with that. It's like, okay, again, first off, if you're in Arkham, you're not getting visitors. But if you do, it's not going to be unsupervised. And if you do, I'm pretty sure they're going to check to make sure you don't look like a former resident of said asylum. <laughs> that's a problem. And I really don't think they're going to allow you to bring in, like, six raw chickens. Yeah, that's just... She just brings in a bunch of food for them. They're not going to allow you to bring in food for a prisoner, because Lord knows what you've done with it. Maybe you've poisoned it. Maybe there's a weapon in there. There's no way. No way. <laughs> uh, and and here's another thing I don't buy for one second Mary Doll crying because Batman apprehended Killer Croc because yeah. that's a that's the first thing, time she'd ever been exposed to the guy or I mean his existence and she just starts crying it's like what the fuck you don't even know this guy or this right, this I mean, creature I, I should say <laughs> I, I understand what they were trying to get at, it's she's depressed because she's different, she's feeling alone, and she's found someone that might be a kindred spirit, and she sees him being abused by someone who abused her. I get what they were doing, but it could have been done so much better than just having her sob. Like, really? Come on. You know? Um, let's see, what else, what else did I note? Oh, yeah, how about this? Whenever they showed a newspaper featuring Dal and Croc... All of the photographs were posed. It, they weren't candid shots of them like running out of the bank or punching someone in the mug. No. It was like Croc flexing his muscles and baby in front of him, or them in a heart. Like and it's clearly frontal. like yeah, yeah. It was not from the side. Not, no, no, no. Full frontal, as if they they went to a photo booth, got a picture taken, and then gave it to the newspaper to use with their main page story. Like, what? That doesn't, again, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, where did Mary Doll get a suction cup dart gun taser? <laughs> what? That, <laughs> no. boy, not, not only that, but not, okay. Think about this. She, it's only got one barrel, but she shoots two darts out of it and shocks the guys at the same time. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. She hits one cop, hits another, implying that it was Okay, hang on. Let me let me back up here. If she shot one cop and it knocked him dead or knocked him out or knocked him over, or whatever, that'd be fine. And then did the other cop again? That would work. But she shoots the one. He kind of looks up at like what's happening. Shoots the other. He too is confused. And then she shocks them both because uh, you know the the darts are attached to a wire that leads back to the gun that apparently has some sort of battery that can knock them out. That can fry them. But how does that work because we didn't see the second suction cup dart dangling from the gun before she shot the first cop we would have need to have seen that i know it's a nitpick but christ's sakes that the gun should have been double barreled or she should have had two of them does that make sense you see what i'm saying there uh, yeah well yeah i mean i'm the one who had the okay. gripe about it so <laughs> yeah well maybe i mean maybe i'm over analyzing that but she fries them at the same time implying they're attached to the same wire and yeah. it's just not possible with the, the way the gun was set up Oh, God. Um, and then, here we go, here we go. At one point, 
Croc is leaving their lair, and she's like, no, we have to plan our next gig, honey bun. And he's like, no, you do that. I'm going out. But Croc is the one who planned that big thing against Harvey Bullock. They're, they're acting as if Croc has never planned a heist before. Oh, well, this goes back to what is he? Is he dumb Croc? Is he smart Croc? Right. <laughs> never, another, another character they've never gotten right. He's like, you know, he's the uh, Batman version of Parasite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just can't decide what to do with him. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Now, one thing I did like. The newspaper that said, DVD, the next 8-track. Yeah. Yeah, and it was supposed to be a, t- a quote from Bruce Tim himself. Uh-huh. Yeah, that that was funny. I'd love to know if he actually said that. Yes. Because if he did, that, that's one of those things where he just has to hang his head and go, I guess I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> And it was it was kind of nifty seeing the Daily Planet covering a Gotham crime spree. So I mean, it's crossing crossing bo- uh, borders, right? Because it shows you how uh, massive their crime spree has been. It might be confined to Gotham, but nothing's been able to stop them so far. So yeah, it's going to make the Gotham news. It would make the news in Chicago and Atlanta and Los Angeles all over the place. So yeah, that that was sort of cool. Um but again, I have another gripe. Okay, I can understand why Croc would stick around with Baby Doll cuz he flat out says it. He's only sticking with her to get the money until he can have enough to split town, right? Right. But why would he get together with her in the first place? Granted, she's the one that freed him, but why wouldn't he just slap her out of the way and be like, I'm out of here, toots? Just because she freed... Crack has no loyalty, so just because she freed him doesn't mean he would stick around with her to, to do these gigs. I don't get well, that. Like I said, I can see why he would stick with her, but I can't see why he would get with her in the first place to wind up sticking with her. Well, I guess you could unless say... He's like, unless he's into, like, he has a little girl fetish or something. I don't know. Well... On the on the you know one thing you could argue that she, you know she showed him look here's what we can do and you know we can make a you know a shitload of money and jewels and whatever else we want if we just you know use our our strengths uh, and also you know there was a moment in the episode where uh, baby doll just annoys the hell out of Croc and he's about to backhand her but he stops yeah. so I think maybe what they were trying to do there. And this harkens back to Sideshow uh, with the kid, the flipper boy, whatever his name was. Um, you know, maybe maybe Croc has a soft spot for quote-unquote kids. I don't know. Maybe that's what they were going for there. Maybe. Uh, could be. I don't know. That's the um, only. Those are the only explanations I can come up with there. I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Um, how could a quote-unquote child and a monster get on a gambling boat? Yeah, how about that? Like, now, you could claim that maybe they swam up and climbed up the side of the boat, but they're not dripping wet. They're not. So they clearly paid or whatever to get on the boat, but he's clearly a monster, and she clearly shouldn't be there because she's underage. They even make a point of it. So, you know, if we would have seen them climb up the side of the boat, I wouldn't take issue with this, but they're on there as if they're guests. As if they're paid guests. Or even if they had shown that they were hiding in, like, uh, a, a luggage bay or something. Yeah. And they just yeah. just 
five seconds worth of, of show just saying, okay, well, they're, they're sneaking up a, a stair, a staircase going up to the main deck. You know? Uh-huh. Just something like that. That's all they would have had to have done. Uh-huh. And, uh, here's my next, my next gripe. What was the point of Croc yanking that pipe off at the very end of the episode? I mean, what possible advantage could he have gotten from ripping that thing off? And, <laughs> and what could he have thought would have been the outcome? I mean, what was he gonna do with it? It just, right. he runs up to this wall and yanks a pipe off. Uh, why? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, granted, he was going to use it as a weapon, but he, Croc doesn't need a weapon. He's, he's, he's freaking killer Croc. Like Batman to begin with, yeah. Is, is having a metal pipe really going to help him that much more? No. Just punch Batman in the face. That's all he's got to do. Yeah, so it's, it was clearly, they were in a, they were at a point in the script where they're like, okay, how do we defeat Croc? Oh, God, we've only got 40 uh-huh. seconds left in the episode. What are we, yeah. we going to do? What do we do? Yeah, uh, he defeats himself. How? He pulls a pipe off a wall and gets hit with hot, you know, scalding hot water. Go with it. Like, no, doesn't work. Doesn't work. Um, oh, God, and then the way Baby Doll ends the episode, we could have been together. Or, or, yeah, like uh, they are on TV, I think is the line. Ugh. And it's one of those things where they were trying to hit you again with the you know, that, that first time we see Baby Dow, you know, it is surprisingly emotional, that whole episode. You can kind of sympathize with her. You can see where she's coming right. from. Here, they don't really bring up the TV aspect until the end. It's like they were, it's like the whole episode was based on that one line. Like someone came up with the line and they're like, hey, this is how we can do it. We can build this episode around this one line. And then they save it for the end. And it's like, really? That's what you were building towards? That? Yeah, that didn't work too much. Yeah, I mean, but they see the thing, and that goes back to this, to Baby Doll not being a recurring character. She's just not strong enough. Um, mm-hmm. Because, look, I mean, we look at the way the last episode ended. She, we remarked, she killed herself by shooting those mirrors. And Batman just, you know, comforting her at the, with the, at the very end with no words. He doesn't say anything. He just, you know, puts his hand on the back of her head to try and comfort her in some way. And she's just crying. And that was a powerful moment. This, not so much. No, no. Um, I did like a particular line when uh, Batgirl's trying to shut down the reactor, and Batman says, can you stop it? And Batgirl says, in a minute, you'll either know or won't care. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> That's a good line. That really is. Um, now, what did you think of Killer Croc's redesign? It, I, I didn't really like it. I didn't. Yeah. I just, it was just... It was weird. I mean, he he goes from uh, I don't even know. See, this is the thing. I I don't like this one, but then there's other characters whose redos I love, even though they're completely different. I mean, like the Penguin and Mad Hatter. I love their redesigns, but it's like I don't I don't know what to think. It's just it's not a very good redesign as far as Croc goes. I don't think, and it's hard for me to put into words. Here, this okay. Here's the thing. Crocs is really drastic. Penguin, you can say he dropped a few pounds. Right, mm-hmm. Hatter. How is he really different? He's a lot. Not, he's a lot shorter. Is he a lot? A shorter? lot shorter. Okay, so that's we'll take issue. You know, we could take issue with that too. But Croc, he's built differently. He's colored differently. He was gray before. Yeah, now he's full now on he's green. green. His face is completely different. He doesn't have the same jaw. Different voice actor. Teeth. Yeah, it's almost as if it's like Killer Croc son or something brother brother yeah (laughs) it just it just doesn't make sense you know it's almost as if they're ignoring batman the animated series yeah you know it's okay here you go if you watch star trek the next generation there's some things in tng that outright 
contradict things that happened in the original series. And that's because Gene Roddenberry said, this is the new starting point. So it doesn't matter. The, the old series, it's not in continuity anymore. They've since gone back and changed it. So the original series is back in continuity. But that's sort of like what I feel Bruce Timm and company are doing here with Gotham Knights. They're saying, this is the new Batman starting point. Batman the Animated Series happened, but it's in a different corner of the universe. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's, it's like Earth 2, we'll say. And this is the new Earth 1. Um, Which I don't so much mind. Like I said, I like the Penguins redesign and I like Hatter's redesign. It's just... The, it's Crocs is just it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they, I, I wouldn't mind them changing his body so much if they would have kept him the same color. I just mm-hmm. don't like the fact that he's green all of a sudden. Yes, you can say he mutated further, I suppose, but then someone should mention it. They're like, "Hey, Croc, last time we saw you, you were gray." You know, <laughs> like what happened? Oh, I got hit with some radioactivity. Joker gassed me. You know, whatever. <laughs> I mutated. I threw a rock at myself. As long as it's explained. Because think about it. They explain how Mr. Freeze got the way he is. They explain Clayface. Right. So why not explain Croc if you're going to change him that much? It was about ten years ago. A teenaged girl named Clara Selton came to us with enormous pyrokinetic potential. But I never got to see her fulfill it. Why not? The government men. They took her. Took her? As in kidnapped? Mm Mm-hmm. Can I have another? What'd they do with her? Stripped away her past, codenamed her Volcana, and tried their hardest to turn her into a living weapon. Poor kid. Uh, Don't feel too sorry for her. If this is the same person we're talking about, she could give as good as she got. Next up today is the Superman episode, Where There's Smoke. Uh, In this episode, a woman flirts her way onto a yacht club and causes a massive fire with her own hands in order to steal some things to just sell on the black market. Uh, Clark starts to investigate, and he finds out that the government uh, has been funding a research institute that studies children with paranormal abilities. Uh, one of the children there uh, that was there at one point was a little girl who had pyrokinesis. I believe her name is uh, her real name is Claire. We of course know her as Volcana. Um, and this government or organization here basically just kidnapped her and tried to turn her into a living weapon, uh, but she escaped and. You know, she started a life of theft because that's really the only way she could find to live. Uh, now, eventually, Superman confronts Volcana and tries to reason with her and help her, but you know, she doesn't trust anyone, kind of rightfully so, and she just blasts Superman and escapes. Uh, and she makes her way to her friend's apartment, but she's captured by the same people who kidnapped her years ago. Uh, they and they reveal they're called Project Firestorm. Now, at this point, Superman pulls a Batman and scares the living hell out of some of their agents in order to get some information out of them uh, as to where they've taken her. So he goes and bursts into their their underground lab, and uh, he reveals that they're not the government because their funding was cut off years ago, and they're just a rogue outfit now trying to sell Volcana off to uh, likely a terrorist nation where she's just going to be mutilated for the sake of developing more metahumans. And uh, so Superman rescues Volcana and you know, just takes her to a, a deserted island where she can live as basically a prisoner in paradise. So I think that about sums this one up. So, uh, Mr. I Love Redheads, what do you think? Because I, like, I like this episode. I do. Oh, man. We're all over the place today. Um, with this one, it's not a bad episode. By no stretch of the imagination is it a bad episode. But it just, I don't know, it's just there. It's literally just 
there. It doesn't really add anything to the Superman mythos. It doesn't really add anything to the DCAU. It's just Superman fighting the villain of the week. And, I mean, we need that every so often. We definitely do. But this one could have been done better. It was really... This was uh, Stephen King's Firestarter meets S.H.I.E.L.D. from the Marvel Universe. (laughs) Because I'm telling you, those agents, two of them were clearly stand-ins for Nick Fury and Dum Dum. We got the leader with the patch, and we've got the other guy with the mustache and the, the I think the I think the, the, the boiler hat or whatever they're called. And that that's Dum Dum. Yeah. So it was seriously Shield meets Firestarter. Well like I said, not not a bad thing to do, just nah, I don't know. It's it's yeah, it's it's, it's average. <laughs> it's it didn't look bad. It didn't oh, it had some really good animation, I thought. Yeah, I could watch it again. It's kind of cool knowing that Superman's got a kinky girlfriend on some tropical island <laughs> that you can just go to whenever Lois pisses him off. You know, I mean, whatever. It's cool in that aspect. Well, if that were the case, because we'll find out later that she, for no reason at all she resumes her life of crime. But we'll get. Oh, she comes back. Well, Volcana, yeah, she comes back. When she comes back in Superman, I know I, I, she comes back in Superman because I know that Supergirl alludes to having fought, uh, fought her. And then she comes back in Justice League several times, uh, oh. several times in the original Justice League series, and then in uh, as part of the Legion of Doom. I am so not remembering that at all. Um, I mean, I mean, you could say she got bored on the island, and she can fly. We see her fly, mm-hmm. so she probably just left the island because she's like, I need something to do, and you know, whatever. There you go. But yeah, I was hoping she was kind of a one-off character. It's a shame knowing that she's not. <laughs> Uh, I yeah, there were some really bad one-liners all over the place, but I didn't so much mind her uh, her voice acting or dialogue really overall because I thought the uh, when the Nick Fury stand-in confronts her in uh, her friend's apartment, uh, mm-hmm. I kind of liked I liked that little dialogue they had there, just the back and forth, uh, you know, tenseness. I thought it was a it was a decent little uh, conversation with some yeah some you know some good sarcasm really. Mm-hmm. Um. But you know, I mean, the, my favorite part of this whole episode is, of course, Superman busting into that uh, uh, building and threatening those guys into tell into getting that information out. Just, he, he pulled a Batman. Yeah, that's actually what I wrote in my notes. I'm going to read it verbatim. Superman got very Batman with window, just holding the guy out the window and threatening to drop him. Wow! And he wow, had the heat vision Superman. eyes added for effect. Yeah, Superman growing a set, you know. <laughs> it was, but it, and it was so funny because the guy is just swinging his dick around in the form of this ultra strong laser, and Superman just goes, <laughs> and it's like no, yeah, uh, no, yeah, oh uh, yeah. So, um, how about the uh, how about the Nick Fury standing clearly being incinerated and and destroyed? Was he? Well, did I miss? Well, you well remember at the end of the episode when Volcana. Where Superman goes no because the, there's the the, oh, the hydrogen yeah, the hydrogen uh, canisters there and she yeah. goes no that guy's dead. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Yeah, wow, I can't believe that got past me because I think by that point I was just sort of like, eh, how much longer is left on this? One? <laughs> you know, and then and then it got to the island thing and my interest picked up for the obvious reasons. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, yeah, I know you and I aren't the only ones who thought that was she was in her bra and panties there when they first shifted that scene. Absolutely. I mean, it's like, it's so weird because like, there's no, 
there's it's just a scene shift. It's just a fade, a fade in, a fade out, and a fade back in. And she's in a white. It's supposed to be a bikini, but you know, there's it's just it go right from that scene where Superman is flying off with her to that scene where she's just laying on the beach, and it looks like she's right. in her underwear. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she looks like she, at first I thought she was left unconscious there. I really did. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Um. I thought the the fire effects were really good. I mean, if you're going to do an episode about a, a character that can generate fire, um, the fire has to look good. And we'll speak more about this in the next episode we're going to cover too. Mm-hmm. Um. You, you, that's the one thing you have to get right, and I think they did that uh, well. Um. But they, then again, they've always done fire well on this cartoon. Yeah. Um, and I don't just mean Superman. I mean Batman, everything, on all these cartoons. Because fire isn't an easy thing to animate, oh, no. you know? No, no, no. But, but they get it. They've really nailed fire down. So I, I like that. Um, you know, I like the design of the character with the long, flowing red hair. It, it kind of changes length several times, but there's sometimes where it's, like, down to her feet, and there's another time where it's clearly past her feet. So, okay, whatever, whatever. <laughs> That's kind of a nitpick. You know, I kind of like the outfit that she was in when they, you know, like what would be her supervillain or superhero costume. But because it's not something she picked. Right. It's like what they put her in when they put her in that kind of back to tank thing. Um, that was cool. Um, I liked how they subdued her in the apartment with those foam guns and they were just bombarding her with it. You know, and I think a reason I like this episode is because it was, it's, I think it's really the only episode we get during the Superman, uh, animated series where we get Superman dealing with seemingly a government conspiracy. And we don't get any more of that until we get to Project Cadmus. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, I, th- I thought they pulled it off alright. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh my god, amazing or anything, but, I mean, the, the guy, the Nick Fury standing was, he was definitely a, a hateable villain. I mean, he was a, utter douchebag and and i at the at that point i was glad he got destroyed by that hydrogen canister when they first appeared i was trying to figure out if they were like checkmate or another government agency in the dcu but then it turns out no they're on their own they were a rogue agency so or not agency they were just rogues you know yeah um I don't know. I don't know. I, I kind of trailed off there because I don't have much else to say about this. One. I really don't either. But I mean, I'll, it, these. I think in the next episode we're going to talk even even less. But uh, you know, I just I like this episode uh, overall. I think it's a good solid episode. I remember when you used to dress like that for me. Gar, we have a show to put on. Remember? Don't worry, Cass. I won't disappoint you. My job is the only thing I care about now. Let it go, Garfield. Whatever you thought we had is as cold as a burnout fuse. Hey, you're the expert on burning people, you little tramp. And if you think I'm going to step aside like one of your pretty boys... Okay, that's it. It's your last show. You heard that, Frank? Cut him a check. He's out. I honestly thought we could have a working relationship, but I guess I was wrong. You've been wrong about everything. Especially me. Next up is the Gotham Knights episode called Torch Song. In this one, there is a performer, a uh, female uh, musician by the name of Cassidy. She's like the super hot thing. Um, and she has recently broken up with uh, one of her uh, roadies. And uh, he's the guy that's in charge of her pyro effects. And uh, he takes the breakup really hard. 
Um, and uh, he wants to get back together with her, and she's like, no, this ain't happening. And um, I think he lays his hands on her, doesn't he? Doesn't he grab her? Yeah, I think he turns her around and says, you used to dress like that for me. Right, yeah, and uh, she ends up firing him on the spot. She's like, she tells her agent, cut him a check, get him out of here. And uh, he's able to sneak off to the uh, pyrotechnic room. And uh, as she's performing on stage for her first show in Gotham, uh, these these flames start coming up, and they're part of the act, but then he just puts them at maximum, and they just start going crazy, and it starts, it literally burns down the whole building, and uh, Bruce is there with his new girlfriend, and he can't do anything about it. He can't get away from the girl to go save this performer, but it just so happens that Barbara Gordon's also there, so she's able to change on the Batgirl and uh, swoop in and save Cassidy, and uh, she tells Batman and the authorities, you know, it was my ex-boyfriend, so the police go to check out the ex-boyfriend, and they find that he's got, like, some crazy candlelight shrine to, to Cassidy, but he's gone, he's missing, and we see that he's in a, he's holed up in some abandoned factory, as there's apparently a lot of them in Gotham City, and uh, he's building himself something, we don't quite see what, uh, but then later on we see it's a super suit that can fly, and it's got this crazy fire gun. Imagine Mr. Freeze's gun that shoots fire. He's also got, like, a fire lightsaber and some other tricks up his sleeve. And uh, he wants to abduct and or kill uh, Cassidy here. And, uh, you know, he throws down with Batman, of course. He kicks Batman's ass. So uh, in the second confrontation, Batman has to wear this, like, special suit. It's sort of like a cross between the Bane and Mr. Freeze suits. Um, and it's going to protect him from the fire. It's sort of like a walking tank or a walking Iron Man suit, really. And uh, uh, he has to stop, Batman has to stop the, the Firefly, his name is now, from uh, dumping this this gel he's invented into the Gotham sewer system because um, if that gets in there, pretty much one spark uh, will set off this gel and it will literally burn uh, a hole beneath Gotham, just sinking it into the earth. Um, that does it for this one, I think. Uh, yeah. Yawn. Yeah. Nah. That's about it. That really sums up my thoughts on this episode. <laughs> nah. Um, God. What, what, you know what? I'm just going to start with a question here. How in the hell, did at the end of the episode, did that gel not just melt a big hole through the Earth's core? There was so much of that shit, it would have burned a hole clear through the earth. Mm-hmm. Because that, that was his whole plan. Yeah. You know, was if that got underneath Gotham, it was going to sink, you know, it was going to create a sinkhole and just destroy the city. But, oh, it really does nothing to this factory. Like, what? Yeah, it all gets burned, but yeah. it just stays there for some reason. Yeah. And it's never explained. Well, well, while we're talking about that scene, here's the question I have. He was at a paint factory called Mephisto, correct? Yes. But apparently this paint company had direct access to the Gotham sewer system. How does that work? Like, now granted, they're going to have pipes and whatnot, your standard pipes that are going to lead to the Gotham sewage system, but the episode made it seem like it had direct access. Like, Like like it was the the reclamation plant itself and not uh, an abandoned paint factory. Yeah, I mean, think if you saw, uh, you know, Batman, uh, Batman Begins, where uh, Scarecrow is dumping all that shit into the the, Goth- or the Gotham sewers, that's what it looked mm-hmm. like. Yeah, yeah, that, that bugged the hell out of me. I'm like, wait, 
Is he just pouring all this stuff down one small drain? Like, is, is that what he's going to do? He's going to wait three days for this entire vat to just drip <laughs> into the system? <laughs> oh. Um, okay. Okay, I did like this. What are you doing tonight? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. <laughs> I love Bruce's reaction. What? What? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> that was kind of cute. Yeah, that was a cute little moment. Uh, so was what cave have you been hiding in? Been a, not as not as much as the pinky in the brain reference. Yeah. Um. Now, wait, hang on. There, there's a question I have to. Well, it's not so much a question. It's more of a statement, really. I can understand. The, what's his name? Firefly. His real name. Do you remember? Um. God. What the hell? A- any other time, I'd be able to tell you off the top of my head. Uh. Okay. Garfield. Garfield. Yeah. I can understand him being a pyro specialist. That's fine. I get it. That's his job. But he's also an accomplished engineer that can create a special flying Iron Man-like supersuit. Really? Really? Of course. So with those kind of skills, he decided to be a roadie? <laughs> I can build Iron Man armor. I'm going to go tour with this band. <laughs> um, No. I can make as much money as Lex Luthor designing super suits that the army and police can potentially use, or I can make whatever a roadie makes. Mm, no, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Um, how about? Uh, I thought it was kind of funny that they had they actually had uh, somebody calling a, no- a woman a tramp. Yeah, that was sort of like, whoa! You call her a tramp? Hmm. It's something you expect to hear on Married with Children, but not necessarily yeah, Gotham Knights. Yeah. You know, and uh, I liked when I say liked, I mean the the maturity aspect of uh, uh Cassie trying to seduce Batman into protecting her. Mm-hmm. And then when he leaves, she's like, Creep. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't have sex with me. You wouldn't use me, you creep. <laughs> <laughs> Like Kelly from Married with Children. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Let's, uh, okay, so Batman would be whom? Al? <laughs> mm, yeah, well, yeah, I guess. Although, you could probably argue that Garfield would be, uh, Al, just by how disgruntled he is. Okay, then who's Cassidy? Kelly. Yeah. Okay, who's Batgirl? Um, I don't think she could be Peg, cause she's not ditzy and, but she is a redhead. Yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> you want to make it Bud? We can make her Bud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's oh, yes, you can tell what we feel about this episode, people, if we're comparing it to... Or if we're fantasy casting it, really. Yeah, and and I'm sorry, but uh, I, Married with Children is one of my favorite shows ever, so I'll, I'll just talk about that in place of this just utterly boring episode. <laughs> yeah, there's there's the WFP follow-up. We're going to do a Married with Children podcast. Yes. <laughs> been forever since i've seen any of those episodes god i've got as many seasons as i can find on dvd they're so great yeah anyway um here's here's my next question this guy he has this gel and he's like demonstrating it for cassidy chained up in that uh, paint sewer warehouse thing Mm -hmm. um and he says something to the effect of it'll burn through anything even ice now, when I think of things that don't melt easily, ice is usually pretty far down on the list. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'm watching that, and you can see there's this block of ice. I'm like, 
I had kind of forgotten about this episode. You know, I had seen it before, but I kind of forgotten about it. I'm watching it. I'm like, is he going to demonstrate that this shit can burn through ice? <laughs> really? And then he says it. I'm like, oh my god, he's going to say it. It should have been like a big block of steel. Yeah. You know, just some really thick block of metal or like an engine or something. Just. Something that was metal, not water, that when you heat it with a match, it begins to melt. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Oh, my so, God. So, so, again, this guy is really good at pyrotechnics. He's really good at building a super suit. He's really smart in that he was able to create this ultra-cool gel, but he demonstrates all this shit on a block of ice. <laughs> Look at this, honey. I can melt ice. <laughs> at that point, I think the wife would just walk away and go to her mother's house for a while. Exactly. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. What an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, 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 okay, here's... <laughs> we can't even get back on track. I can't even... That, that, that whole concept is just... It's like... It's got this mental hold on me right now, and I can't get out of it. It's so stupid. Yeah. And okay, this is my really my last note that I have, and it's just Batman or Bruce, I should say, when they're at the that fire, or when the, the when he, Garfield is burning down that building, and he goes, he just goes, "Good girl." It's kind of weird. I don't know. Just it kind of took me aback. Yeah, well, it's because it's Batman, and we're not used to Batman praising people, really. Well, it's and that is just kind of weird, good girl. Like she's a, a trained house pet or something. <laughs> yeah, I see, what you're, I see where you're coming from. That didn't bother me so much. It did didn't really bother like me. It. it just took me aback a little bit. Yeah, like, I, I kind of liked it because it shows that Batgirl has become his new partner more so than Robin. Um, she's uh, acting on her own. You know, she can do the right thing. She didn't flee. She, you know, she saved the day when he couldn't, so he gave her a little praise for it. I, I dug it. I dug it. Okay, I'm all about, uh, I'm about all out uh, of notes here, so uh, I'll just leave it to you. <laughs> yeah, I don't have too too much more, really. Um, I like that Batman attempted to use the freeze gun, but he only used it once. So if you weren't really paying attention, you wouldn't even realize it was the freeze gun. That's how fast it was used. And then, like... Never used again. He pulls it out, shoots at uh, Firefly, and then the gun's knocked away or whatever. So, like I said, if you weren't paying attention, you'd be like, "Wait, did Batman just shoot Firefly with a gun?" Yeah. Like, like no, he should have. We should have seen Firefly's feet getting cased or his arm or something, and he had to free it with his own gun or the fire saber. Um, yeah, fire saber. Luminous has a lightsaber, and he has a fire saber. So, yeah, I'll, that's all I'd say. Yeah. If if I had a weapon that could project some sort of plasmatic fire beam, you know, I'd probably strap it to my wrists or somewhere else in my body. So this way, when I had to actually have hand to hand combat with Batman, I could ignite it and punch a hole through his face. Mm -hmm. You know, how, like Wolverine's got his claws and he can punch you with his fist or he can stab you to death with the claws when he punches you. Same thing. Firefly can punch you with his fist or he can punch you with his fist that just happens to be you know, attached to this giant fire plasma sword thing. Like, no, I'm going to make it handheld so you can just swat it out of my hand. Ugh. Ugh. And, uh, you know, I, I will admit another thing I liked was the ending of this episode. I mean, the very ending. Because it was very much like the ending to uh, Misery, the movie. 
Mm-hmm. Where in the beginning, when uh, uh, it was Michael Caine, right? Was he that? Yeah, that was and him in Misery. Yeah, and Kathy Bates. Right. Yeah. You know, she, Kathy Bates is like, oh, I'm your biggest fan, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, we all know what happens to him. And then at the end, when he's back out and I think he's talking to his agent about his next project, he's at the restaurant and the waitress t- it's, it says, hey, I'm your biggest fan. And it freaks him out because that's the same thing Kathy Bates's character has said. Now, here, Cassidy's sitting in a restaurant with her agent and he's talking about her next gig. And she sees a dish being, uh, like what, flambéed or whatever on the spot. And it's very traumatic to her because of everything she's gone through. So I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it very much had a misery vibe there. Oh, no, that was James Kahn. That wasn't Michael Caine. James Kahn, yeah, okay. I could, I, right. I, I, I knew I was wrong when I said the name. It's been so, so long since I've seen misery. Yeah, yeah, cause, yeah, you're right, you're right. But you see what I'm saying with, with the ending there? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm looking at my notes and I don't know. No, I have one more note that I'm going to bring up. I was debating whether I was going to mention it or not because it is a little nitpick, but hey, that's what I do. After Batgirl gets crushed in that one building that explodes, Alfred has apparently put a bandage on her arm over her costume. (laughs) She's been burnt and crushed. And hey, honey, we're just going to bandage up your wounds over your costume. Don't worry about taking the sleeve off or taking the whole top off or anything like that. The wound's going to heal just fine if we wrap gauze around the leather that you're wearing. Hey, I I guess since Robin can go fly the bat plane with a broken arm, uh, he just figured, oh, she'll just jump right back up and go right back to work helping Batman. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just had to reference the terrible trio again. Let's say... Uh, but anyways, I'm going to go off on another tangent involving wounds and Batman. Have you seen one of the newest Dark Knight trailers? Uh, I think it might be the newest one. I think but I have, there's, yeah. There's one. It's a little longer. Um, if you, if anybody out there has, uh, uh, you know, like the on-demand channels uh, available through Comcast, that's where it is. I don't know if the satellite companies or any of the any other providers have it. But if you have Comcast, you can find it. There's this really cool shot where Bruce and Alfred are in the... Uh, well, I'll say cave for lack of a better word, because I don't, you know, the mansion at the end of the last film got destroyed, so I don't think they're living there anymore. And uh, Bruce is taking off his shirt, and you see him from the back, and he's totally messed up. Have you seen that? Yes. That is awesome because one of my favorite Alex Ross paintings is one where uh, Bruce Wayne uh, he has his back to the to the reader, and he's kind of looking over his shoulder, and you know, he's shirtless, obviously, and you just see the wars that this man has been through, stabs and stab wounds and gunshot wounds and lacerations and all this and that. And they they actually use that imagery for this movie. I thought that was wild. So, yeah, I know it's a bit of a tangent, but I really don't care. Yeah, neither do I. (laughs) I love Alex Ross's work. So you're the famous Roxy Rocket. You're as smart as you are handsome. I didn't think you were foolish enough to make trouble in my town. Well, with Batman missing, the other crooks in Gotham are picking the city clean. I thought I'd try my luck here. Back up. What do you mean, Batman missing? I thought you'd know. Don't all you spandex boys have club meetings or something? We're not exactly friends. Aw, I'll be your friend. Sorry, little girl. You're going home. And finally up today is the Superman episode, Nighttime, which is actually our first crossover episode right with uh well since since uh, world's finest. finest right right so um 
What happens in this one is uh, Roxy Rocket, whom we will be uh, introduced to in Gotham Knights in our next World's Finest episode okay. here, uh, is flying recklessly through all over Metropolis after she's just robbed a joint. And, you know, eventually Superman stops her and he's, uh, they start talking and she reveals that Batman is missing and that Gotham is being picked clean, so she just decided to come to Metropolis. So uh, Superman decides to fly over to Gotham. Now, meanwhile in Gotham, Robin has his hands full with a group of just common thieves, and Superman arrives in the nick of time to save his life, and he asks where Bruce is, not where Batman is, uh, to which Robin is shocked because he had no idea that Superman knew who Batman really was. So later they're, uh, they're just talking, and Robin exp- explains that Bruce called uh, about three weeks ago and told me to be away on business for a while. And... Uh, Bat- Batgirl traced the call to Romania, and so she and Nightwing went over there to confront Rachel Ghoul, who is whom they think might have kidnapped him, uh, which means that Robin has been left to handle Gotham all by himself during this crime spree. And, you know, the bat signal shines in the background again, and uh, Robin is just, ugh, God, not again. And so Superman says, this time Batman will show up. So, you know, later on, after waiting about half an hour, uh, Gordon is about to shut off the bat signal when Robin and Superman, dressed as Batman, show up on top of police headquarters. And uh, what's unique here is Superman is perfectly uh, executing Batman's voice. Um, and Gordon's pissed off because he doesn't even get an explanation as to where Batman has been all this time. But he needs his help, so he just shows, quote-unquote, Batman a picture taken at the airport a few hours ago. Uh, Robin kind of helps him, uh, Superman, by whispering to him that the huge man in the picture is Bane. Now, Gordon informs them that Bane is allegedly twice as strong as he once was with a new refined Venom formula. So Super Batman and Robin uh, then, sw- <laughs> <laughs> then swing, in, swing off to Wayne Enterprises to investigate Wayne's last known activities three weeks ago. Um, Superman discovers on some papers on Bruce's desk that there's a bunch of robotic nanites uh on his desk and on his phone, on his papers, uh, and uh, is something that no human could have seen. So, you know, he's using his supervision here. Uh, and Robin, Robin and Superman come to the conclusion that Bruce has to be under some kind of mind control. So they go to the Iceberg Lounge to question Penguin as to the whereabouts of the Mad Hatter, whom they, you know logically would be the person most likely to be behind such an act. So, you know, Penguin refuses, of course, at first, but Robin. Uh, again, helping Superman along with the whole Batman uh, deal, tells him to kick the desk over and threaten Penguin into giving up his location. And he does, and it turns out that Mad Hatter, Bane, and the Riddler are all teaming up using their respective strengths to capitalize on Batman's supposed disappearance. So uh, Super Batman and Robin crash in, and Bane starts taking on whom he thinks is Batman, only to have the, time tr- uh, the tide turned rather violently. <laughs> um, Robin jokes that he's been working out, and... Uh, Superman just beats the unholy fuck out of Bane while Robin takes care of the Riddler. And uh, Mad Hatter tries to escape, but Superman you know, uses his super speed to catch up to him, which Hatter finds uh, quite curiouser and curiouser. <laughs> so uh, Hatter, in the next scene, Hatter's uh, looking at the nanites through a microscope, and he's just amazed at how advanced these things are. He's, he says he's never seen anything like them, even though he's robbed from all kinds of places, uh, like LexCorp, Star Labs, and the like. So he remarks that they're most likely of alien origin. And back in the Batcave, Superman and Robin are going over the tape that Bruce left to Lucius saying that he was just going on vacation. And Superman notices, uh, or he, he overhears a sound in the background, which he recognizes as uh, rocket exhaust. 
And Robin says that Wayne Aerospace is where he has to be, so they head there, uh, head off to the, uh, the aerospace. And when they get there, they see a newly finished spaceship being tested. Uh, Superman remarks that it looks Kryptonian, and suddenly Bruce walks out from inside a room. He orders everyone to leave, and out from an electronic door comes none other than Brainiac. Uh, Superman, you know, stops Brainiac from obliterating Bruce, and they eventually make their way into space, where Brainiac is destroyed yet again, but not really. And, uh, you know, later at the mansion, Superman compliments Tim for how well he carried himself, and remarks that, you know, supposedly being such a loner, Bruce really knows how to pick a partner. <laughs> so that's it. God, I love this episode. Yeah, this one wasn't as good as I remembered it being. Really? Well, yeah. not saying it's bad, but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, what 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 disappointed you? You know, sort of everything overall. I mean, I felt like the thing with Hatter, Bane, and Riddler was really just filler. It's sort of like. Okay, we have the Brainiac thing. Okay, well, first off, we have to establish that Bruce is missing, and we have to get Superman to Gotham. Okay, that's done. We know it's Brainiac. We know he's got Bruce under control. We got that. But how do we get Superman to the Brainiac stuff? Uh, uh, um, let's have him fight a couple of the rogues gallery. That, that's really all it was. It, I felt there were better paths to Brainiac that didn't involve Superman just destroying some of Batman's most formidable foes. Hmm. Well, what would you have done? differently i um because i i didn't so much mind uh superman taking on bane because you know the reason they had they had they told bane was twice as strong and batman probably would have gotten his ass handed to him uh if it was really him fighting him so you know actually i think what made me like that scene so much is the bane being scared shitless (laughs) you never you never uh expect to see that yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I, I like the idea of Hatter being there. And because, okay, Hatter makes sense because they're going to think, okay, if there's nanites, who are we going to go to? Hatter. That's who That's who, who must be doing this. And if it's not him, he's going to be able to tell us who. So that makes sense. Okay, I'll, I'll forgive that. Bane, even to some degree, makes sense because you have to have someone that Superman can beat up because Superman is not going to beat up the Mad Hatter. Okay? No. He's just not going to. you got to pipsqueak. Versus Superman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not compelling TV. You know, that, that would be like me kicking a kitten. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's what it is. And I don't condone k- kicking kittens, people. No, no, no. No. I, even though I'm allergic to them, I do love kittens. But <laughs> anyways, um, so, okay, Bane even sort of makes sense there. He's Hatter's muscle. But why was Riddler there? Okay, they try to explain it. You can outwit anybody we come across. You can control anybody we come across. And I will break anybody we come across. Like, uh, there was no reason for Riddler to be there. It just should have been Hatter and Bane. Period. And then I would have been okay with it. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It just didn't... uh, Even with them being there, I still think it could have been done a little better. Yeah. They just, we're planning something! And we never see what they're doing! They just get interrupted. Like, oh, we're going to stop you before you can do anything. You know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. They should have come back to it later, I guess. Another yeah. another episode. That that so. probably would have... See, I think that in and of itself might have been made for a good episode because they they say right there, you've got Bane protecting Hatter, who's controlling whoever they need to control. And um, Yeah. Yeah, I do agree. Riddler was kind of just there. 
for... They just threw Riddler in there to show off the new design, which I completely despise. Yes, I cannot stand that look. I, lo- I love Hatter's new look. I like Bane's new look. Yeah. Uh, Riddler, no. Not, I love not the, at all. Yeah, I love the S&M looking Bane, just in full-on leather mode. Mm-hmm. No longer does he look like the kind of Lucha Libre. Um, I, I really dig what they did with Hatter, despite the fact that, as we spoke of earlier, that they changed his size. But... Riddler, he had such a cool design in BTAS with the suit that he always wore. That was badass. Now, I know the costume they have him in is paying tribute to the classic costume and the one from the Adam West TV series, but I don't understand why he's bald. He just looks funny. It looks like a half-assed design overall to me. I really wish they would have kept him in that suit. That was splendid, splendid design work there. Yeah. Um... I think one thing I, I didn't understand about this was Brainiac showing facial emotions. Uh-huh. He had a really evil grin when he said, Goodbye, Kellel. It was an unexpected mm-hmm. bonus destroying you. And, yeah. he also, and then, he also showed fear. That's what I was about to say. He was panicking at the end when he couldn't disconnect that one wire. And he was grunting while he was pulling it. <laughs> was he? I didn't yeah. notice that. What, what I will say is the design of this Brainiac seemed much more human. Yes. I, was was the model off? I mean, I'm trying to remember what Brainiac looked like the last time we saw him, and I don't remember him looking quite like this. There was something that was, it just didn't fit. Mm, yeah, what, what I, was no, different? What was different? Uh, well, his uh, lip—he had lip movements, for one thing. That stood out to me like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. And he, like I said, he he grins, he shows fear, he grunts. I don't know why a robot would ever grunt. Um, and we got robot alert here, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that that's really what it boils down to. It's like Scarface in that uh, in the second ventriloquist episode where he's his his face is moving around. So it, that's what I, I harken back to that. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, what did you like about this one? Though? We're kind of focusing on the negatives here. Tim Drake, again. I mean, this is another yeah another one. They're just they keep making him. You know, better and better and better. And, uh, you know, when he gets the Superman approval, that's another defining moment for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and when he says you sure know how to pick a partner, that could imply that Superman has met Dick Grayson and or Barbara Gordon before. Just, you know, not in the show, but maybe at some point before, because he's remarking that uh, about uh, Nightwing, really. Is, yeah. I think it's, he's complimenting how well Nightwing has done for himself. Yeah, that's true. Um, let's see. What else? What else? What else? I well, I think the main thing I love about this episode, besides you know the Tim Drake stuff, is it's cool seeing Superman out out of his element in every imaginable way. Different city, different uh, mo, different villains, uh, different. You know, he has to carry himself about differently. He has to uh, impersonate of you know a voice. It was yeah. it was cool. It was really cool to see. Yeah, I mean, he has to be rougher. I mean, granted, just an episode back, we saw him stick the guy out the window. But here, you know, he's kicking over desks, you know. And we actually see the character evolve a little. Because earlier, early on in the episode, uh, they're sneaking around one of the office, one of Bruce's office buildings. And uh, Superman says, all this sneaking around, I don't like it. It's not my style. And Tim's like, are you kidding? That's half the fun. But then later on, when Hatter's trying to escape, Superman, as Batman, of course, is able to use his super speed to block his path. And then he keeps on doing it. And at one point, he kind of smirks. Mm-hmm. 
and you get the feeling that he's starting to enjoy the Batman costume, and he understands what comes along with it, that whole fear and superstition thing. That, you know, when they when you see Superman, he's big and bright, but when you see Batman, he's dark and foreboding, and, you know, he knows he's going to scare the piss out of Hatter by just being able to get in front of him and Hatter not being able to figure out how he did that. So you you really see Superman grow as a character right in that scene when he smirks. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, I was a little confused, and I've seen this episode a couple of times, and I can never remember what it is. What is Brainiac's plan? Why did he kidnap Bruce? What are they doing? Yeah, see, that's and that's the thing. It leads on to a question I have, too. Um, I don't know. They, um, Superman... As Batman confronts Brainiac for some reason, I don't know why he didn't just go in there and punch the shit out of Brainiac to begin yeah. with. Brainiac's about to blast Bruce Wayne, and instead of using heat vision to melt Brainiac's fists or whatever, he throws a battering at him. Yeah. Like, really? Really? The element of surprise is that important at this moment? <gasps> no. Yeah, no. Not against an intergalactic threat like Brainiac. Right, right. But, yeah, I don't, I don't understand. I don't know what the plan was, because... When he leaves Earth's atmosphere, what is he going to do? Drop a nuclear bomb on the planet or something? No, yeah, it's never said. <laughs> so yeah, I I don't I, I didn't get that at all. I don't know what they're what I mean. And, and as Batman, he even says, "I know your your uh, your uh, mo or whatever he says. Uh, uh, take a planet's knowledge and destroy it. I can't allow you to leave." And he just leaves, and it doesn't look like he's taken anything. Yeah, he just has a ship. He's just fleeing. Yeah. And if all he was going to do is flee, really, Superman, let him go. <laughs> let him go off into space. Let him be someone else's problem. You can't imagine all the problems you're going to avoid in the future if you just let him go. Yeah, that's true. See, Superman, you brought it on yourself. Again. <laughs> I, I did like the little bit of continuity where they say that Brainiac is here now because of the interface between Wayne's computers and Luthor's computers from World's Finest. Yes. That was really cool, because we know Luthor's computers were previously infected, so it tells us that he still hasn't purged the virus out of the system by World's Finest. So Wayne's computers get infected, and, you know, did, you know, was Wayne able to purge Brainiac out of the computers? Was he not? We really, I don't know if if it ever comes back up, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, the continuity and the potential to bring Brainiac back after this episode uh, is, is still there, and I dug that so much. Yeah, there's some good lines here too, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, with, between Robin and Superman, like in, in the uh, in the Batcave when uh, Robin's like, "So he's really under control by aliens?" Ugh. And then Superman just lets out the deadpan, "I'm deeply hurt." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Did you and did you catch uh, at, at Wayne Aerospace when he's when Wayne dismisses all those people and uh, they're walking in that hallway and you just did you catch the uh, wacky billionaire? No, like just one of the people. In the, yeah, just uh, one of those random scientist people walking by. You know, so like the blah 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 blah, 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 blah wacky billionaire. <laughs> now I have to go watch that again. That's awesome. I totally missed that. So yeah, I mean, there are some. There are really are some great lines here, and like when. Tim is, uh, when they were about to leave off of the top of police HQ and Rum's like, right side. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, Tim is, Tim is a veteran already. We've, we've, mm-hmm. this episode again est- establishes maybe even, you know, better than the last two episodes that we've complimented the Tim Drake, uh, character development on. This, he, sh- he knows 
everything about how Batman's operating now, how, where, where everything is in the utility belt, uh, villains when they're not in their costumes, you know. Mm-hmm. Really, really good. I, yeah. I love how they've handled Tim Drake so far. Yeah, they're, they're doing a really good job. I, and when they first introduced him, I wasn't crazy with him, you know. But as you said, these last two, three episodes now, really spot on. Um, but speaking of Tim, I do have to take a little issue with something they did with him here. He is suspicious of the smile that Bruce has when uh, Bruce left that uh, video message for Lucius Fox saying, hey, I'm going to be out of town, Lucius. You can take care of the company. <laughs> I'm sure you're used to that by now. <laughs> Tim is like, see, see, that's weird. And Superman's like, what? And he's like, he's smiling. But he's in full-on, doofy Bruce Wayne mode in front of Lucius Fox at that moment. So I don't understand why that was suspicious. Well, uh, now, okay, I mean, no, he, has been, he has become more serious of late. He's become more serious, but that's still, yeah. I don't, I, I don't think Tim's suspicions from that video were, were well grounded, worth mentioning on the show. I think we should have seen the video Bruce, quote unquote Bruce, left him, left Tim and Barbara, in that yeah. one. That one should have been where the one where he's like, Hey guys, I'm going out of town to get some tail for a few weeks. I'll be back. And then that one is the one where he should have been like, he's smiling. Bruce doesn't, you know, he doesn't put on that act with us. But with Lucius, he does. So I take issue with it. I do. Yeah, I I agree. Um, let's see. What else? Good or bad? What well, else? there's there's an animation glitch I have to mention. Uh, when when Robin is fighting those crooks in that department store, as the guy's running away uh, towards their their van or their truck or whatever. The rope that Robin throws at the crooks appears to come from in front of him, but we see that Robin's clearly chasing after him. So it was just weird. Hmm. That's something else I have to go look at. I didn't pick up on that. Um. Yeah, I really don't have a lot more notes because, and it's kind of weird because this is maybe the most non-linear episode yet. It's just one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. And they're they're really just all over the place. Hence my mile mile and a half long summary earlier. Yeah, you know maybe that's why I'm not totally keen on this one because it's plotted and told a little differently than the other episodes. Mm, I don't know. Nice, I thought it was a nice change of pace because no. there's there are too many episodes here where it's just straight up linear. Just there's no d- diversions at all. Okay, I can I can I can kind of see what you're saying there. Um, is there anything else you want to say about this one before we move to our scores? I don't believe so. I think I'm ready to score this stuff. You know what? No, I take it back. There's one thing I want to say. Okay. Um, there's that, that shot of Gordon standing in front of the bat signal when he and the female officer were on the roof waiting for uh, Batman and Robin to come by. Uh-huh. That's so cool. It's just, that's an iconic image. You know, Gordon in front of the signal waiting for Batman. Was that taken you know, off it, of a comic book cover? Or, I mean, I'll I, tell you what. That's if you look at the cover to Gotham Central. That's it. One, Gotham right. Central. Gordon, Gordon isn't on that cover. It's all the uh, oh no, he isn't because Gordon wasn't the police commissioner at the time. But it's like all the characters in that book. It's very much the same image, pretty much the same angle. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, I think Michael Lark did that cover. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Lark looked at this episode and said, that's great imagery, great angle, I'm going to use that. 
Um, and I think that might be why I like that image so much because I love the Gotham Central comic series and I love that first cover. If they were ever to make that into like a poster, I would own it. Hell, if I could own the original art, I would, I, I, I well, if I had the money, I should say, <laughs> then I would own the original art. Um, cause again, it's just, it's just iconic imagery. Uh, Gordon or a bunch of the cops in front of the signal waiting for Batman to come and help them with a rough case. So if, if I, hell, if I could find one of the animation cells with the background and everything from this episode, I, I'd want it for sure. So, but anyways, let's get on to our scores here. Let's go all the way back to Little Girl Lost. Well, like I said, I lowered this, uh, I originally had this an eight just because I enjoyed it so much, but I lowered it all the way to a six. Wow, cool. Um, I'm giving this one a four, but remember I said it's actually getting an extra point because it expands the DCAU. So my score would have been a three on that one. Uh, let's see. Love is a crock. Three. I am... Shit. I'm going to give that one a four. Kind of... Yeah, well, I'll give that one a four. Uh, Where There's Smoke? Yeah, that one a seven. That's a five for me. Torch Song. Uh, four. Just utterly boring all the way around. <laughs> That's a three. And Nighttime. Um... I had this a nine, but, you know, just because I enjoyed it so much, I'm going to lower it to an eight. An eight. I give it a six. So Dad's got me registering items they found in Lynn's apartment. And guess what? There's an invoice to an address on the east side of town. Interesting. What are you doing tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. What? <sighs> Never mind. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss two episodes of Superman, the animated series, New Kids in Town and Obsession, and three episodes from Gotham Knights, The Ultimate Thrill, Over the Edge, and Mean Seasons. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast.